talk about some tech issues on this show. G'day, it is The Coach here with Down Under Sigma. If you're watching this on YouTube live, hello. Uh, if you watch this on a podcast, it means that I'm probably going to get my off my ass and finally release this on an audio file. As always, we are here with my co-host, the villainous himself, Liam. How are you? Good, sir. I'm sweet, man. How are you? Good. Are you still going around with the uh, the alias of the, the villain or are you still trying to shred, shred it? I think I'm pretty good. Like, I don't think I've caused any... Me and Clint were just talking about this earlier. I haven't caused any drama at all this year. And he says, other people are doing it for you. And I say, it's great because I get to eat popcorn and watch the world burn. It's great. And then so they get to be hated. So you need a new nickname or you need to start throwing salt and firing up? I think I'll stick with Cranky Limb, which was what I was like known before the villain, where I get really salty during my games, like we did at the first Masters, where um, I raged at Chris Welfare. And I think we all remember that quite well. Yeah, you're um, getting salty at me when uh, my free people were shooting off your trees. But uh, hey, uh, good to have you back. And uh, the chat is already giving it to Clint. They're asking Clint, why have you got pictures of yourself on your wall? G'day, Clint. People that don't know who you are, let them know. They've probably never been to CanCon, but who are you, man? Uh, Clint from the Heralds of War podcast uh, and uh, TO of the Asia Sigmar event at CanCon, the world's largest singles AOS event. And lover of all things James Bond, as you can see. And Manfred, I've, I've been having fights with um, uh, Mr. Mephisto today, who was ragging on Manfred, and I was fighting him for you. So... Uh, Liam, watch your mouth. I'll mute you if you talk about Manfred like that. Um, and I've got to say, that's a really poor introduction for myself. I've been watching some YouTube videos on how I should introduce guests and I should be leading it uh, as opposed to throwing it over to my guests like that. So I'm going to try this with Nick. Uh, I'm going to introduce Nick Cohen. He is uh, probably the voice you'd recognize on the dwellers below, uh, an OG Warhammer player from Fantasy. He's back. He came second or third at CanCon, has done really well with the Death Allegiance, uh, whether it's Night Haunt, whether it's uh, Legions of Nagash. Um, and my God, you are a beautiful man. How are you, Nick? Not too bad. Thank you very much. I really can't take it seriously with Smorgan's face. <laughs> if you're watching this on YouTube, you're seeing the uh, the Smorgan. Uh, if you watch this on a podcast, you probably should be watching us live on YouTube. So. Um, Nick, it's good to have you. And I guess today, uh, the reason I've got both Clint and Nick here is because uh, you both have run uh, some of Australia's largest AOS events. You've obviously attended a lot of events and we want to talk TO talk. We want to talk about how do you set up a great event? How do you run a great event? What are those tips, hints, tricks that you guys have learned along the way, whether it's to market the event, whether it's to build that players pack, to speak to sponsors, uh, to to wrap it all up in a nice little bow. How do you run a great event? Liam, I know you've run an event uh, last year as well, and certainly uh, people might know that I'm running an event next month and I am shiting myself just with the amount of terrain that I have to build. But you have people helping you out with that, so it's fine. Uh, yeah, m most people, uh, Liam's still on his first batch of terrain. Helping. Well, he's, do he's doing more help to me than he did to you, Clint. What happened to you uh, at CanCon this year with Liam? Uh, <laughs> I'll help you, Clint. Oh, I've also bought a ticket. Oh, I'm playing now. That's pretty much what happened. Well, we'll see what, ha we'll see Look, what happens. I, all, is my, all is forgiven. My thing, my thing was the opposite. I bought a ticket and then I said, screw it. I'll help you out. That's what I did to Anthony. So I think I have improved. That's a good step. 
It's a, it's a, you, you are definitely improving. Nick, you're no stranger to dead weight as well. Um, I hear you did most of the most of the hard work at um, at uh, I want to say border war. What was what was your event, bloody hell? Lots of war. Lots of war. Border wars. Lots of war. There's so many like just unique names. To to be fair, like yeah, there was some dead weight in the uh, in the team leading up to the event. But uh, after the Saturday night, I was sort of dead weight on the uh, Sunday morning. So some people helped and helped me out then. So to be fair, but yeah, no, yeah, I know where you're coming from. To credit the boys yeah. on the stream, they, they talked a lot of shit for a long time. Um, it was good value. It's what we do. Lockie did the most work, right? Yeah. In bed on Sunday morning and rocked up at 1 p.m. Solid. Yeah. All right. We should probably uh, crack the what's what's Doom Darkness say? Crack the fire, light the tires. Let's get into uh, today's show. So, have you guys had any games recently? Uh, what's what's in the news? What's happened, Liam? What, uh, give us an update since we've last had a show. Um. So yeah. pretty much yeah. news wise, had any games? Been... Uh, yeah, we had a game. Me and Nick played. I was down in Melbourne last week, and we played a game. It was actually a pretty good game. I lost. Um. But I learnt that corn can be really um, puck you to magic because I didn't cast a spell at all. Like, at all. So, yeah, it was good. We played Starstrike, didn't we? Uh, yeah, it was Starstrike, the new one. Yeah, the new did one. Got, did, uh, did you have yeah. the, uh, that, that prayer the, um, that stops the spells, the uh, skulls? Yeah, the, um, the judgment. Yeah, the, uh, what are they called? Big skulls, skulls of corn. We'll go with that. Hex scourger skulls. Yeah, yeah, they were um, they were really strong. So I was running that. I had a both of corn bloodthirster and the terrain and a couple of blood priests. So like you know potentially neg three on his casting plus two on my unbinding um, with a few unbinds. So yeah, uh, anti magic was pretty strong. Yeah, and I couldn't do anything about those judgments because they're not magic. So if it makes you feel any better. I played Doom and Darkness, and he threw those judgments down at me. And uh, because I've got four wound grot wizards, and I decided in one turn to roll two eights, so uh, I decided to yeah. pop all my wizards. That is not good, best idea ever. Yeah. Um, but no, it was a great game. And then I had a quick twenty-minute rundown game with Danny Paints, and um, with his beautiful KO. Um, that guy is a freak of nature, and he's not even like close to finish, and it still looks better than the stuff that I make. So. Yeah, it was good. Good day of gaming. Good day of hanging out with some legends. And yeah, that's that's news with me with gaming. How about yourself? Well, let's ask our guest, Nick. Have you played any games other than uh, that practice warm up against Liam? Uh, Age of Sigma wise, no. So I've been in Europe. Well, I mean, I played a blackout at the in the start of August over in the UK, uh, and then I've been uh, holidaying my way around Europe. So I haven't played too many games. How was blackout? Uh, Blackout was amazing. Blackout was a really good event. Uh, it was great to catch up with a bunch of the old mates from um, from the Warhammer days. And, um, yeah, I just love playing International Age of Sigma, which was what I was doing that weekend. And, yeah, nearly uh, nearly managed a podium, just uh, just missed out in the last round, losing to uh, one of the one of the old boys, Brian Carmichael. Um, so, yeah, uh, Blackout was awesome. Uh, great time catching up. Yeah, played Liam last week uh, when he was down, which was good to catch up. And... Played a whole bunch of Warcry last week as well. So Warcry is, is currently my jam. I'm very much keen on that at the moment. So, yeah, that's been my hobby, really. And who are you playing in Warcry? 
Uh, I played some games with uh, one of my mates, Ben Leopold, who used to play uh, 8-3rd Fantasy, uh, and with Nick Gentilly. Nice. And any particular warband? Uh, I've been running the Untamed Beasts, but I've also got the Splintered Fang, which I'm going to try out. Uh, Long term, I think I want to buy them all and just paint them up uh, to a good standard and just put them in a display cabinet, even if I don't play that many games with them, because uh, I think the models are fantastic. And I've always loved the, uh, the that kind of chaos aesthetic. And um, yeah, that's what I'm all about. Oh, awesome. And Clint, yourself? Um, just had a mind break. I don't know. I mean, you got, you've got Tourma GT coming up. You've got Sydney yeah. GT coming up. Surely yeah. you've been practicing. No, no. I don't he has practice. a single brain. I've been working on terrain. I haven't been playing Warhammer. Yeah, I don't know when the last time I had a game was. So, yeah, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> right. I'm sure there's one game of you on the foul charge, though, which I think was like recorded like a month ago. That was recorded a while ago, and I think I've, yeah, yeah. copped that off on the Heralds already. So, yeah. Fair enough. Cool. Well, I had a Sydney GT warm-up on the weekend. I played one gentleman. Um, it was a great game, played Jake um, with a 2,500-point game. Um, I brought out the free people with the Carmine Dragon, so it was really a Tempest Eye um, formation, which was really cool, double chicken or the Griffins. Uh, it was good to get the free people back and dust off those cobwebs and... Um, really inspired to get the Cities of Sigmar book, and which is why, Liam, we're not going to talk about the news because every friggin' Monday when Games Workshop release what's coming up on the schedule, it's not Cities of Sigmar, it's not War Clans, it's not more Tribes, so everything else is dead to me. Um, but those skeleton boys, they look so pretty. F so them, F Gordrak, F everyone that is in Cities of Sigmar. Does anyone else get sad messages from uh, Anthony on a Monday morning going, Where's my city's book? I think he sent me one, and then I didn't really say much about it, and I think he hasn't done it again. Uh, I'm, I'm sympathetic to his plight, so it must be why I'm not. Because right, it's going to be another Stormcast battle time. Stop picking on me. But, yeah, but besides that other news, um, there is Age of Sigma Underworlds, but that's, yeah, that's pretty much it, really. Um, it's not Cities of Sigma, but yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that, that you're really upset. <laughs> That's right. It's actually probably a good thing because, um, I would not be able to focus. Hey, we got Nick. We got rid of that smoking icon and we have, uh, the beautiful man that is Nick. We did it. Happy days. As, uh, as my, uh, my hero on my performance review, uh, would say great success. Great success. Then nice. Um, all right. Ooh. We're going on a weird tangent. Is that where we're going? Is that what? <laughs> what, what what's your best Borat, uh, Clint? No, it's <laughs> <laughs> just not happening. Liam, you got one for us. I have. I, don't hate me, guys, but I've never watched it. You've no idea. Don't hate me. That's fine. Clint might not do Borat, but he has actually promised to do some karaoke at Sydney GT with Sam Morgan. A uh, bit of a Dolly Parton song, I reckon, he's going for. Oh. <laughs> Wait, Smorgan's going to karaoke? He bailed last time. I'm, just, I'm counting on that, Liam. So don't. No, not happening. But yeah, besides that, I think we can go on to the next topic, which is. Um, oh, Liam, we... Liam's cracking the whip. Oh, is he? Yeah. yeah. Who's yeah, the host yeah. of this show? Sheesh, some of our, uh, I agree. Some of our guests have, a, like, have to be somewhere. 
So. It's only it's only taking you six months to get this point where you started taking the lead. So I, I don't yeah. know about I don't know, Clint. Would you allow this kind of uh, uprising on your show? I know I wouldn't on mine. No, I'd absolutely edit it out. Well, I've already heard Liam uh, has been encouraged to apply for the dwellers. So uh, I am waiting for his resignation from this show and to uh, to join your fine cast I of did, Merry Men. I did one shot at Lords of War, but apparently made me a dweller. Have not done anything else. Actually, you've got a you've got a Herald's Polo as well, so you're a bit of a, yeah, actually, a content creator slut. <laughs> to be honest, though, we kind of gave me that polo shirt just to like really trigger some people, and it worked. It like, did. We did, it our, did. We, we did our job, and I haven't really worn it since. Um, All right. Well, yeah. people, we're not going to trigger is the Patreon, so I'm going to move us forward and thank everyone who is contributing to the show. Uh, it is going a long way. Something that I announced last fortnight was that I am starting to build out a introduction to Sigma. Uh, series of videos so your support um, and everyone who's jumping on board um, whether it's my assistant coaches like Kenny and Chaos Spawn whether it's the amazing amount of tournament nutritionists the hobby physios you know the talent scouts uh, your support is appreciated um, wrapping things up we've got some fresh content uh, Mortally, Mortally Wound has put out a recent podcast Bush Radio always put out a great podcast Herald's kind of dragging the ball and chain here I think you're Last one was about almost a month ago. Uh, your mum's yeah. a faction. It was two weeks ago. Calm down. That's too long. That's too long. We need more. We need more, uh, Clint. Fine. <laughs> Seems like most things on on, on uh, YouTube these days are bat reps. Whether it's Fail Charge, Doom, and Darkness put out some bat reps. Um, uh, Measured Gaming, Cinderfall Gaming's in the bat reps now. Uh, he put out a, a great show with. Um, uh, Mr. Bigwood around why tender tournament, but he's also putting out some uh, some bat reps. Um, Clint, does it freak you out that Aussie Wargamer is now starting to put out the road to CanCon, knowing that you are the man who runs CanCon and the content is starting to come out? No, I think it's awesome. It shows that people are putting in the uh, uh, putting in the effort and uh, and are excited. That's what makes it. That's what makes it awesome. People are excited. I just feel like it's a countdown to all of the terrain and good stuff that you need to build in preparation for the world's largest event. You're just saying that to take your mind off your terrain. That's, yeah, that's I've, I've, I've got two weeks. Um, <laughs> speaking of events, uh, we've got Toowoomba Open coming up. I don't know if they're still selling tickets. I need to change that because Moab Team Tournament has flipped out to a Warcry tournament uh, that uh, Ben Spinetti and Liam are running. Um, I'm actually – I'm just going to take this off for a second. Um, I don't know what you guys think of this, but I've recently been printing out these uh, these like Warcry 8-inch kind of combat gauges, which seem pretty cool. Um, and we've obviously got Sydney GT coming up, HeroCon in um, in uh, Brisbane in December, and then obviously CanCon. CanCon, when are tickets out, Mr. Clint? 1st of October was the last update I had, and I've been pushing them to confirm that and to give me a time as well. So. Yes, please, because I'm actually flying to a regional location that day. So uh, if I get off my regional flight and there are no tickets, I will lose my mind. I'll, have another, help. I'll have another helper is what you'll, you mean. That'll freak me. That'll actually freak me out. I booked my accommodation six months ago. So uh, if I don't get a ticket, I will cry. That's why you get someone else to buy your ticket, Anthony. It's called um, a backup plan. All right. Well, you're not the person. I don't trust you to buy my ticket. You'll forget. <laughs> You know, fair call. 
I'll get. I'll take that. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, there's one more event that I want to talk about, and actually, it's not even me who's going to talk about it. I want to throw it over to our fine guests here, Clint and Nick, um, who want to talk a bit about the ETC. Yep. Do you want to go first, Nick, or you happy for me? No, you lead it off. Right. So uh, the ETC, uh, European Team Championships, uh, is a Age of Sigma teams event that's held every year uh, at uh, different locations within Europe. Um, basically, the in its like it's been going, I think since two thousand and six or something like that. It's like been going for about 13, 14 years. It's basically the World Cup of Warhammer. And uh, once upon a time, Australia used to send uh, fantasy battle teams, uh, and uh, uh, Age of Sigma has started to uh, to be a part of it. Uh, and so uh, Nick and I and some other folks have started to talk about uh, getting together an Australian team to send over next year for 2020, uh, which is in Luxembourg. So um, it's quite a big uh, teams environment, a big um, cooperate, like uh, I'm trying to think. It's a fairly friendly environment. Um, teams from all around the world. England uh, won this year. Uh, next year it'll be Australia for sure. <laughs> it's a long, a long history of, of the ETC, right? Yeah, I think yeah. I've, I've seen. I, I don't know how long it's been around, but you know, you could type that into Google and it brings up. I was watching a video from um, uh, Objective Secure, one of our friends over in WA, and it was a video from him in the ETC for forty k, early two thousands. So yeah. um, it's 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 got a long history. Um, Nick, I think I think you've played in it before. Is that correct? Yeah, so I was uh, lucky enough to represent Australia four times at the ETC. So my first one was in 2012 in Poland, and then I played uh, the next two, 13 and 14, were in, in Serbia, and then 2015 in Prague, if I've got my years right. So, yeah, and it's it's a fantastic weekend, and uh, I'm really, really keen to see an Australian team go over there again this year because... It's, it's great having a team that represents our scene and our game, particularly given how big the Australian scene is now. I mean, even compared to um, the Warhammer Fantasy days, uh, Australia was a much smaller scene on the world scale than it is now. Uh, you know, we've got the Clint's running the biggest Age of Sigmar event in the world, like actually the biggest. Um, and the amount of two-day big events that we've got in Australia is great. So I, why shouldn't we be represented on the world stage? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think um, there's been this, you know, history of the ETC and, you know, uh, since Sigma came out, uh, it's something that we haven't really dabbled into. It seemed like this year, that was the first year that we've properly um, committed. Uh, it sounded like everyone who went there uh, had a great time. I, you know, I was following the Americans and the, and the Brits um, quite extensively and they had an absolute ball. And um, I've seen they're already kind of getting applications out trying to form uh, a, a Team America. Uh, and I could see in the chat here, people are already throwing names like, you know, getting, you know, Dave Kerr, for example, in the team. So how do you, how do we get into this ETC team? What's the, what's, what's it all about? Okay. So um, we will be putting up some more information about exactly what ETC is, uh, the application process and uh, selections and all that sort of stuff. Uh, that'll be going up in the next day or two. Um through the Heralds of War, uh, I'll put it through the Facebook page and then um, I think Nick will share it through the Dwellers as well. 
and we'll just make sure that we get it out to to all the different sort of communities in Australia um, and make sure that people know that that they can apply and and uh, try and uh, try and join this team and have a fantastic weekend uh, in in Luxembourg next year but uh, yeah more details in the next two or three days yeah and I'm sure there's an application process and um, absolutely yeah there's so a whole bunch of things. Yeah, so it's not just about taking the the most kick-ass, you know, putting six uh, six of the best players, like the top six players in the rankings together and seeing them all off. Um, it's all about being a team player and being able to commit to the event and things like that as well. So all that will be sort of list, like listed out for people so that they can make sure that they uh, uh, are able to commit and, and want to be a part of the team. And, and, and is the only roles in the team uh, playing roles? Like, do um, is that the only things that are available? Nick, you want to take this one? Yeah, so um, it's it's not the only role. So in short, uh, last year or this this year, um, the Age of Sigma AOS teams were six player teams. Uh, so you'll have six players, and then you'll you've got an optional. And one of those six has, or one of the players in the team has to be a captain, and the captain is the nominal kind of leader responsible for getting the score sheet in each round and stuff like that. Um, but you can also have a non-playing coach. Uh, who can also be the captain. So you can have a non-playing captain. And so Tom Maudsley um, over in the UK, he was the English non-playing coach and captain. And so his role each round was managing the team and looking at all the games and figuring out who's winning, who's losing, where do we need to get points, where do we need to just hold the result we've got. Um, and so it's actually a, an amazingly important role because you look at your game and it's an individual game, you're playing one-on-one, but the coordination across the six tables, potentially eight tables, depending if they uh, if they raise it to eight, which is what it is for 40k and was for for fantasy, and they um, the the coordination across the the tables is is amazingly important. But to be honest, in the in the past, we've taken uh, an etc barman, and that's probably the most important role for the Australian team is to have the etc barman, and they uh, just someone who comes along, basically gets drinks and hot, keeps the players hydrated. Uh, a bit like the movie Waterboy, but with beer. And that's probably the pinnacle of where you can go for Warhammer in Australia is to be the barman for the ETC team um, because you basically just fly across the world and drinking. have a massive piss-up and just, yeah, drinking and hanging out with awesome people. So, But, like, like the German team back in the day would have a team psychologist, and so that, would, that he would come along. And these are all excuses for people to come have a piss-up at the end of the day. But uh, in theory, he was just there to just to motivate players and be like, because it's funny, it, it's pretty intense Warhammer and some people, um, some very good players have had uh, somewhat of a meltdown meltdown uh, in the past. And um, shout out to Tom Maudsley in our Ashes game. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have no idea what that reference is, but I'm sure uh, he's a champion. I think uh, looking at some of the chat, I can see Matt Davis is already very keen to be your, uh, your bar wench. Uh, Tyson Gleason is asking about the official documentation around selection for ETC. And I think uh, given that obviously these are the Australian uh, representatives, I believe uh, each country who is sending a team would have a different process. I know I was reading the application from America and a very important question there was, is does pineapple belong on pizza? Uh, if I was, uh, if I was Bell Souza and anyone put no, uh, they'd instantly be cut from the team. So uh, I believe, Clint, Nick, is that is that true that uh, each team will have a different process and a criteria on selecting that team member? 
Yes. Uh, basically, the, the ETC provides sort of basic guidelines around nationality and, and the the percentage makeup of a team that has to be from Australia, et cetera, et cetera. But they, the rest of the sort of selections are, are left up to the country. Uh, so, yeah, so there's some official guidelines that you have to sort of abide by, and then it's really up to the country uh, to, to sort out the rest, so. Yeah, awesome. Well, I think, we'll... Nick, oh, sorry. Yeah, different countries do it in different ways. Um, it's been, uh, the way the English are doing it's pretty good. They uh, they nominate a captain uh, at the start and then they just have a, a pre-announced selection committee of, of kind of people who are well-established in the community who help pick the team. And you want to have a kind of non-biased committee that picks the team. Um, in the past, we've used rankings to determine half the team and then that half picks the other half, but that didn't work great. Uh, it's always been very interesting over in the US how they do it because they've got such a huge scene. It's divided geographically uh, even more than ours is uh, in Australia with that east-west. And um, so it's always very interesting to see how the US guys do it. But um, at the end of the day, as long as you've got transparency and, and, it, and it's all fair, then that's the way to do it. And honestly, just determining pizza toppings is probably the, the way we're going to go, I reckon. And you are pro-pizza, I'm assuming? I'm definitely pro-pizza. <laughs> And then pro pineapple on that pizza. Probably two pro pizza at the moment, given how my weight's going. But uh, yes, pro pineapple, obviously. Beautiful. Just making sure that you are a pizza and a pineapple person. So, oh um, my god, I'm going to kill someone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Liam, Liam is anti pineapple. And yeah. Liam, Liam, don't even bother applying for the team, mate. <laughs> <laughs> And if anyone on Patreon wants to uh, give me some free boosts and uh, they want to really boost up my Patreon account, uh, I'm sure there is a coach role in the in the Australian team. Uh, there is a coach, I mean, there is a coach role. I mean, <laughs> isn't that meta? The coach comes in in a coaching role? That's it. Or if I don't That's take fine. it up, then I, I, I have to give it up. GoFundMe's for overseas tournaments are all the rage, aren't they, Clint? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Wow. Oh, amazing. Okay. All right. Well, speaking great. of GoFundMe's, right? So I'll take that. Thank you for that segue. That was, uh, really, that was really freaking smooth. Uh, so we are running a GoFundMe for uh, the Honest War Gamer to come back over and cover CanCon. Um, Rob wants to not have to rely on <laughs> this crowdfunding and that sort of stuff. Uh, but it's probably another couple of years away. But in the meantime, uh, we've got a GoFundMe. It's um, the goal is about two and a half thousand, which will bring Rob and team member over, someone like Scrivo or Speckles or something like that. Um, so if folks want to get Rob over here and uh, give CanCon the world's best Warhammer coverage, um, then they should look at that GoFundMe. Um, We've had some huge donations. Uh, thank you very much. And I see there's a chap named Ken who's selling a Sylvaneth army and he's pledged that every cent um, every cent that he makes from selling that army he's going to put into the GoFundMe as well. So if you're after some Sylvaneth, go buy Ken's because uh, you're helping Rob get here as well. So, And I met Ken at Breezehammer and he is an absolute legend, uh, a very kind gentleman. So uh, definitely go and grab those Sylvaneth off him. Uh, if you're looking to get into trees. Is that, is that all the sales pitch, guys? You've, you've, you've sold pitched the ETC. You've sold pitched CanCon. Uh, 
dwellers crowdfunding anything at the moment? No, no, not at the moment. We'll um, we'll wait. We'll uh, let the let things calm down a bit before we try and take everyone's money. Taking applications <laughs> for Chris Cousins' uh, role or, or anything else you want to sell? Yeah, we'll try and fly him back here. <laughs> I'm sure he'd appreciate it. I think he's having a ball in uh, in in England. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. That's correct. Yeah, he's living up in Scotland at the moment, which seems a pretty cool place to live. Yeah, very good. Uh, all right, we should get into the topic now because I know uh, you and Nick have a, uh, a hard deadline and I don't want to lose all that goodness that you have from the number of years that you have been in the scene and running events. Uh, does that sound good, guys? Sure. I was about to imitate your voice. This is the Clint voice. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Could have been the Liam voice. All right, let's move. Let's move along. Uh, and the topic of the show, the reason why we have Clint and Nick here, uh, is to talk about uh, tournament organizing. I think uh, it's something that uh, I'm sure all of us have received countless Facebook private messages or comments or emails asking about um, about how to run an event. Um, Ryan Hooper, it's on the Facebook page. I think the Australian buy and sell, uh, look for Ken, uh, Silverneth and you'll find, um, the, the sale, um, all proceeds go to, uh, to, to the Heralds of War and bringing over a great streamer, but tournament organizing, organizing, um, wow. I almost stumbled over that. Uh, it's something that, um, there's a lot of interest. I think Nick, you called it out that we have a large scene. It's growing and growing and growing. Years ago, we had a couple of small events on the scene. You know, the last, say, 18 months, it's really exploded. The Bendigo boys are putting on events. We've had the Runax team events coming up. You know, Melbourne has been running either small events like SmorganCon. You know, we've had uh, events in Albury, Wodonga, um, you know, events like Sydney GT are now over 100 players. So, you know, our, our scene is exploding, but there's more events happening than ever before. So I guess I wanted to really tap into the knowledge that you guys have about how do I run an event? How do I prepare to run that event? Um, how do I gain those resources? And all of that great stuff. So I can either have the most amount of players, they have the greatest experience, um, and they come back for more. I think that's the important part. You, you put on a great event, people are going to come back, they're going to tell their friends, and uh, this is how our scene just grows and grows and grows. Is that is that a fair statement to make, gentlemen, before we move forward? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Liam. Oh, anytime. It's anytime. So I might throw it over to Nick first, then I'll go to Clint, and maybe just you know sh shout out your credentials. Tell us about some of the events, or you know, tell us a bit about your TO history, Nick. Yeah, so TOing events for probably about ten years now. Um, started with sort of. 25, 30 player events that our local club was running back in probably seventh, early seventh, late sixth ed, Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Um, and probably peaked um, towards the end of eighth ed, uh, running events with the Dwellers Below, which we've restarted doing uh, with uh, Lord of War, which we ran earlier this year. So and that was my first Age of Sigmar event that I've run. But um, at the end of the day, most of the concepts and stuff are the same. It doesn't matter what game system you're running. So. Yeah, I've probably run uh, seven or eight events in total. Uh, even helped run CanCon once uh, back in the day. Um, so I know where, where some of Clint's uh, issues come from. Um, uh, running running, uh, running events for quite a long time, and I just really... Um, yeah. And Clint, you've uh, you've run an event or two, uh, I hear. Is that, is, that, is that correct? Yeah. No. I... <laughs> Fine, Liam, you talk. 
No, go Clint. <laughs> Liam's run all the events in Australia, so he's uh, an authority in this in this space. How do I get banned, according to Horace? Go Clint. Right. Can I talk now? Thank you. Um, so I started running events uh, during the tail end of 8th edition. Uh, literally the weekend I ran my first 8th edition event with the leaks for Age of Sigma. So it certainly cast an interesting... Uh, mood across the whole event um so did that uh started running some age of sigma events um and so ran some local stuff and then nobody's running age of sigma at cancon so i thought right let's do that um so we started with the, the sort of 45 players there uh, and then that's just grown year on year. I ran uh, BrizCon the first year that it had Age of Sigmar in it, um, and then I had to give that up to time commitments. Um, but yeah, no, CanCon, CanCon's really the thing that uh, that I run now and put most of my energy into, uh, alongside the uh, the Masters. So very cool. And we will have a show in the coming weeks to talk about the Masters. Uh, and a little bit more at the Australian scene in, in regards to how this all these events kind of come into play. Uh, Liam, you have run an event as well. Uh, yeah, I ran an event last year because um, Sydney had like a small little shortage of events, like competitively and stuff. So I decided to run a competitive event uh, and got, I think it was like when for Sydney, it was like a quite a huge push to get events because everyone was doing one days and stuff. Um, and yeah, so for like, how to describe it, it was an interesting experience. Um, I got 24 players, which was at the time, like maximum ranking points, which a lot of people back then were like fishing for. Like I know my gaming group were like, oh, if Liam gets this to 24, I don't like it saved them travel time. If that makes sense. Cause the year before there was about a group of eight or nine of us, I think it was, where we were traveling up and down New South Wales and Queensland to compete in events. So I was like, cool, let me just run one. And that saves us all like $300 on flights. And so that's what I did. And then, um, yeah, it was good. Um, didn't really, I was thinking about running one this year, but life gets in the way. And also the calendar for events as we have in the TO group and stuff, um, that calendar filled up so quickly, but you could not find a little slot. Yeah. Like you would have been clashing with like any events. And yeah, it was, it was tough this year, but all the events this year that have been run have been run smoothly from what I've seen, which is cool. Liam, I was asking about your TO credentials, not all the excuses on not to run an event. Shut up. <laughs> cool. And uh, Horace has actually made a really good comment. He's like, uh, coach has packing boxes. And the answer is no, uh, they're not packing boxes. The gloom spite. Uh, although I have moved away from them because um, the free people are back. Uh, but it, more importantly, it is terrain. All of that is terrain. All around me is terrain. It is mental. I have terrain literally here. Uh, my world is terrain right now. Um, so my, my TO credentials at the moment, really, uh, I started running my very first narrative event. So there was that co coalescence malign portents that came out, I think, two years ago um, or might have been a year ago. Uh, ran a quite a large narrative event and kind of moved in and ran a teams event, a doubles event, run um, Sydney GT last year, which was uh, just over 70 players, and now uh, doing 110 Sydney GT this year. So um, while I've attended a lot of events, I think, Liam, you've hit the nail on the head and potentially the next question, which is 
why did we start getting into this? It was because we in Sydney didn't have a lot of local tournaments. We were traveling a lot. Um, so I wanted to, to run an event, uh, for myself. So, um, that's what got me into it. So maybe, uh, Nick, what got you into running events? Um, the first event I ran, it was called Axe Master. It was, uh, my, my club would run it uh, each year and it basically got to the point where we were sort of rotating the TO each year and I was just like, you know, it's probably my turn to run it and let someone else play. Um, it got to the point where I'd sort of been playing long enough that I felt capable of running the event and I just wanted to give it a try. So, yeah, I just kind of put my hand up when it's my turn. It was an easy way to get into running events because it was a pre-existing event that, uh, you know, the venue was already set, the, the timetable was pretty set and it was all just kind of pick up where other people had left off. Um, so yeah, that's how I uh, initially got into events was just picking up where some um, some other TOs had uh, you know left me. And I think what's interesting, at least from uh, from my side of the fence, and Liam and Clint, you guys might agree, is that Melbourne for a while uh, was very light on the events. I think Sydney and and Brisbane or, or Queensland and New South Wales were really dominating the scene. Last year, we kind of saw the Bendigo boys really step up and start running events, but it wasn't Melbourne. Uh, they're just a little bit outside of Melbourne. But this year, we've really seen the ramping of of SmorganCon. You know, we're starting to see more and more events, whether it's at House of War. So it's been great to see you guys really take the, you know, the bull by the horns and start running events to to build that Melbourne scene, which I think has been really needed, um, which is awesome to you guys. Yeah, it's been really good. Um, it's been amazing Australia-wide, but particularly in Victoria in the last probably 12, 14 months, um, which has coincided with with um, myself getting back into the hobby is is just seeing how the tournament scene has exploded uh, throughout the country and, and in Victoria, and the, that scene. And as you said, like the Bendigo scene is amazing. They've got a thirty five player, forty player event coming up in a couple of weeks, and like twenty five of the people are from um, from Bendigo. So the amount of people playing in Bendigo and regionally in Victoria is amazing. We just didn't have that kind of centralized Melbourne scene, but that's really picked up in the last, uh, particularly in the last sort of nine months or so with uh, a couple of gaming clubs, uh, gaming clubs popping up. So that's been really good to see. I'm also impressed that uh, Toowoomba has run, is running their first, you know, the Toowoomba Open, which I believe is sold out at 50. So there's, there's really been this explosion, but I know there's also events up, you know, the Savage Northmen and, you know, there's all these events, you know, Doom and, you know, other South Australians, and I'm sure Tasmania will want to run an event. Um, there's still opportunity, which I think is where uh, I think today we'll talk a bit about like how do we go from good to great, but also how do I start the ball rolling in my local scene? Um, so um, what what makes a good event? Maybe like a broad open question for everyone to start with is like what what makes a good event, whether one that you've attended or one you've run? Um, Clint, I might start with you. What makes a good Sigma event? Um. Oh, I, I should have been prepared for this. What makes a good event? Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. All right, I'll, st- I'll start with the chat, and that is probably Michael Tomo, who's come out and said beer. Beer. Yeah, I don't know. None of the events I've run have uh, had uh, had alcohol, so I don't think that's necessary. Uh, look, it's not necessary. Really? What about that guy? What, what about that guy at the second day at CanCon? There's uh, Death's drinks at CanCon. Yeah, righto. Um, uh, I think you'll find that um, an event that's well organised generally comes through to the players. Um, having uh, sort of one person be the voice 
and they're the, the the contact point for everything and they're the ones who do the talking and things like that means that players have a good experience on the day uh, by not having to run around and find people and uh, that kind of thing sort of flows downhill into sort of if you're organised, you know what the scenarios are, they're out, people know what they're doing, people know what they're playing. Um, that kind of has effects on the terrain. Uh, you don't want to be rocking up at a tournament uh, and they're still like throwing terrain on their uh, on their tables uh, that morning. Um, I've been to some <laughs> events like that. Yeah, I've, I've rocked up to events and they've had to send somebody out to buy more MDF for the tabletops. So um, that's not great. So organisation, I think, helps make a good event because what that means is all that sort of stuff's taken care of, which lets the players just play their games. Yep. So, and that's why we go to events. We go to see people and play games. And if that's all you have to worry about as a player, then you're going to enjoy yourselves. Nick, anything you to add to that? Yeah, look, I couldn't agree with that more. You can have all the sort of add-ons and fancy things and, and stuff that you want, but at the end of the day, if you do the the simple stuff really well, you will have an event where everyone will have a great time because everyone enjoys playing the game. So for the most part, if you're just facilitating that, you're going to make sure people have a great weekend. And the thing that turns people off events is when that lack of reliability and lack of organisation impacts the players playing their games. So we're talking delayed round times, delayed finishing, because some people have to go to do stuff in the evening. And so if you've got an event that you've said you're going to finish by 6pm and, you and you're 45 minutes behind the schedule, that's going to ruin someone's last game because they're going to have to leave early. And that's what they'll remember. That's the negative stuff they'll remember. It's those. It's the redraws. It's the, it's the feel-bad moments that they'll remember the most easy. So if you just if you keep it simple, and for first time tos, that's the big thing I always encourage: keep it simple, and get this get the easy stuff right because that's that will allow players to have a great weekend. And so if your organisation's on point, even if you don't have the greatest prizes, even if you don't have you know all these kind of bells and whistles that you can add on to an event, if you get that solid easy stuff right you'll have a great event and your players will have a great time and no one will complain and they'll build on that and they'll come next year and you get those foundations and then, then you can build on that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think um, when I reflect on great events and um, the, the events that have been poor, it's always the little things. It's never how big the prize pool was, how many, um, you know, how many prizes were available or awards were available. It's the little things like, uh, I'm not going to name and shame, but, you know, kitchens at the particular um, event, you know, running behind schedule 30 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour, which are delaying times, which means, uh, you know, other the TOs rushed or um, we're rushed or, you know, some people are trying to eat their meal during the during the round. It's, you know, it's it's a little little things that make a huge difference. And you've got to remember, people are giving up their weekends to be with you. Um, so it's imperative that that set up all of the work that you do before the event really pays off on the weekend. The, the more you do before that, the easier it becomes. I just wrote, um, Michael Thompson raised in the chat there uh, where the TO thinks of all players not what's easiest for themselves, which I think is a good point to make where the TO's running the event for the players. So, yeah. Yeah. And that comes through generally. You can generally tell when there's you've been to an event where that's the case. Yeah, like... 
for me, as a guy who attends mainly events, um, I have to say, attending both Nick and Clint's events, um, I think the big thing that like me and my gaming group know that is a good event is generally like since most of us travel is like how well it's run on time and like for example lords of war in june like some of us had to fly out and the fact that we got able to help them pack up and all this stuff and it was like all run like on time we knew it was like ran smoothly and it was just that simple thing and it made our trip less stressful if that makes sense and so like having a good like set time plan of like what time things should be done is probably like to me the most important, especially enough time that you get the best result in your games. If that makes yeah, sense. I, Cause yeah, I've, I've been to a large event again, not naming and shaming, but um, the, the kick off, the kick off for day one and day two was minimum 30 minutes late. Um, which, which just had a huge knock on effect to whether it's the lunch breaks, whether it's the scheduling, whether it's the time you get out, uh, maybe you've got stuff planned afternoon or, you know, you've got a flight. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're all things that, you know, you're like, yeah, we'll push it back 30 minutes. You know, people um, will, will just handle it. Actually, no, um, it actually does have some negative impacts sometimes. I think I know which event you're talking about. I, I won't name it. <laughs> I, think I, know I, know, I, know, I know what event he's talking about and I'm just here going like, cool. <laughs> it's just the lessons that we learned. Like things happen, we get it. But yeah. the, the the better you can plan, the the, the better um, the chances of you avoiding these mistakes are. And, like, yeah. Timing's a re- timing's a really tough one, right? Because you you basically there's nowhere to get time back. You you yeah. if you've got a pretty tight schedule, you know you can't regain that time that you've lost. So you've got to be so harsh on it. And you know players will try and take as take your time, and you know. Um, they'll try and play their games a little bit longer. They'll start a turn when they probably shouldn't. And you've just got to be harsh as a TO. And it's tough when you're a new TO. You've got to be harsh. Just be like, no, nah, dice down. And if they protest, like, guys, you've had two hours 45, two hours 30 to play your game. You knew that ahead of time. I've been calling out the round time saying you've got this long left. You've got to put your dice down. And, like, Clint um, obviously had, had some issues at... Um, CanCon on day one with the um, with players not returning their rules packs and that and that put a pretty big delay on um, oh, on the I'd rounds. Put a delay on. Yeah, and you've just got it, but you've just got to go after those players and like Clint would have been absolutely fuming. I can only imagine at those players because those players that do the wrong thing push a whole event back, and so you've just got to be right on them. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe let's talk about going to the start. So how do we, how do we first build out that great event? So let's imagine I've never run an event before. I've got these aspirations of uh, running an event, whether uh, we just don't have enough, or maybe uh, we have a fledgling and growing community that this would be great. Where do I start? Whether it's location, whether it's players pack, whether it's the the terrain, like what, what advice would you give me starting off as a TO um, Clint? Um, it depends whether uh, you've have you been like if you've been to events before, uh, maybe you've travelled and you want to bring that back to your your local group. Basically, taking what you liked from those events, and that's and that's where you're going to start your start your starting point from. If you've got a local gaming store, uh, getting in with them and saying perhaps you know uh, you've got ten tables, five tables, eight tables, whatever, can we you know, can we take over this, uh, over the store on Sunday? We'll run a little event, you know, and uh, 
just starting small. But if you can get in with a local store or a local gaming club and you and help utilize their resources, um, that's always a great starting point. And then as far as like players packs and things like that go, if it's your first event, just something simple. Um, just this is how many points. This is what we're going to play that day. We're going to play for two and a half hours around or whatever. I don't think uh, I don't think people really. If you're running a little store event or it's your first event and and you're pretty upfront about that, um, people are going to be happy with these. This is these are the battle plans we're playing. This is the time. It's going to cost twenty bucks and we'll give you a piece of lunch. That's as much as a player pa player's pack has to be for your little one day a first event that you're going to run. And then as and then as you get experience and you decide you want to try new things or you know you start you're starting to get people you know twenty odd people say oh I want to play at your event well you can go well okay maybe I can find a bigger space or that kind of thing so Nick anything yeah. you add to that yeah expectation management for me is is pretty big so if you um if you set the expectation to your players that it's going to be this grand super well run amazing event. And it's your first event okay you know that's your prerogative but potentially people will come away disappointed whereas if you just start small start with a one day out, like clint says in your local shop or in a, in a community hall or something like that and you just say hey this is our first go we're trying to build the scene we're keeping it simple we've got our battle plans we're here to have fun play games it's not necessarily the most competitive event we're not trying to get maximum rankings points or anything like that you set that expectation it's a casual weekend of fun games people will come away from it going, hey, we had a casual weekend of fun games. You set expectations saying, this is going to be the best tournament in the world and it's the first time event. It's probably not going to happen. So yeah, set that expectation for yourself first. Run what you want to run, but set that expectation for yourself on how it's going to go and then set that expectation for the players. And um, you can do that really easily. Uh, it's something we did for Lord of War. If, uh, a bit of a mission statement at the start of your player pack. Just a couple words. Here's what I'm trying to achieve this weekend. This is what I want the players to experience. And that way, if someone wants to go to a hyper-competitive event that's, that's run amazingly and you know, all the scenarios are as balanced as possible and stuff, and they see that and they go, okay, you know, that's not what I want to do. Uh, I want something super serious. Those players who might not have a good time won't go to your event, and the players who will have a good time will. So, mm-hmm. Liam, anything else you'd add? Uh, no, I think they've pretty much like nailed it on the head. Just start small and then grow big. Um, and like for me, I think probably the, like even starting at your local store, as Clint said, is probably like the best way to get started and just keep it super simple. Um, and yeah, and just, yeah, that's pretty much it really. Like I've seen, like we've kind of seen it in a way with um, Gamescube, I think it was like last year where we just started doing one dayers. And then out of nowhere, we did like a two-dayer, which was actually quite a big success for a new community. And just seeing that grow and grow and grow and then went big. And then, yeah, so like that, there's a perfect example. Um, but yeah. Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that is uh, is is knowing and, and I, I like to look at tournament organizing like a project. Uh, I do a lot of project planning. I've shared stuff with Clint in the past just in regards to... Um, looking at what you, you know, not, not biting off more than you can chew. Um, you know, I think about if I'm going to run an event, I need tables, I need terrain, I need uh, resources. Where do I get those resources, whether I'm going to build them and do I have time to build them? Can I borrow them? Um, and can I get them before I 
you know, I, I tell the world that I'm going to have a, a 50 player event, but then I realized weeks, weeks out that, or maybe even days out that I don't have those mats or terrain, uh, people rock up and have a bad time. So, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, and I think Nick, you know, hundred percent correct. It's, it's setting the expectation for your players and yourself. Uh, yes, it's easy to, uh, to, to accept every man and his dog. But having a limit to say, look, the first 12 players, this is going to be a 12-player event. That's it for now. Next event, and I think Breesham has done that really well where they've gone, right, small event, grown, 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 and then they just, as they're building their resources and then their experience, they're also growing. Um, and, and, you know, more people are like they're, they're, they're missing out. So, they, so next time the tickets come up, they're grabbing them. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Cool. So how do you guys build a place pack? How do I, is it, is it as simple as Clint just said, just the schedule and like, how do I even know what type of schedule I put together? Like time for rounds, lunches, like what are the considerations? Uh, in this grander age of the internet, um, you can, you know, you can find any number of players packs uh, out there. Uh, that uh, that are published that have all those sort of details in them for those events, and you can go, okay, well, this is the bit that I like, or this is the bit that I don't like, um, and and realistically, um, let's face it, everybody's first players pack is probably pilfered from someone else's or parts thereof, or like my first players pack for my eighth edition events were, you know, um, based on what our Queensland Northern Knights were doing in Caboolture. Because uh, I'd been to their events and I'd really enjoyed them, and uh, Jacob, who was running the fantasy events there, had a really good, clear pack. And I'm like, "Cool." I talked to him. I said, "Do you mind if I just borrow some elements of this?" He's like, "No, that's cool." And so uh, that formed the foundation of of my first players pack, and then that's evolved. Uh, they're still wording in in the current CanCon pack from that first players pack. Uh, so, you know. Um, Finding, finding a lots of examples, figuring out what it is that you like, um, putting your own spin on it. Let's let's face it; you don't have to put your own spin on it. You can just say, "We're going to run this one day. We're going to use this pack." You why know? reinvent the wheel? Like, exactly. if people are already doing a good job, why why recreate this whole pack that maybe unfamiliar to players too? Yeah. So but like, you know, like, why fix something that doesn't need to be fixed in a way? If that makes sense. Exactly. It's like, yeah, our our store thing, uh, we're just going to, this is just a copy of the Games Cube pack or whatever, um, you know, and, and we're just going to run with that. And because that will give you some idea um, on times, or, you know, expected round times and on what, what people expect for lunch and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. And you'll yeah. see in the lead up to big events, particularly CanCon, I suspect, you'll see... Um, what they call warm-up events, and that's a great chance for smaller, t like uh, newer TOs, run a run a warm-up event for a bigger event, and you just you literally steal their pack. You make it a one-day version of the pack. You sort of steal half their timetable, and um, you you go, hey, come to this event, local players, warm up for CanCon. We'll play the CanCon pack. You can get to use it. You can test your army list. We'll do it a week before this submission, and uh, and you'll see that. Um, 
But you're going back to what Clint said about uh, copying things from different uh, packs, like some of the questions or some of the phrasing that I see in player packs now, I remember like Chris Cousins writing for one of his events in like 2005, uh, 2005. like that's how long people have just been sort of grabbing bits and bobs from different events. And occasionally I'll see that one particular phrase that he used, I'm like, oh, I remember that when he first wrote it. So it's uh, it's amazing. And like we did that for the Lord of War pack, which just shamelessly went, hey, I like the way CanCon does that. Hey, I like the way, you know, X event does this. You'll see in a lot of packs, the South Coast GT uh, cylindrical line of sight mm. system. And people are literally using the same photo of the same model and they're just, just copying it and pasting it and, um, but realistically, that's the best way to do it. Write, write the pack that you want to play or that, that sets the tone for the event that you want, but um, you don't have to write it off from scratch. You can um, you can kind of borrow it from all, all different places. Well, it's a circle of life, to be honest. Like um, I said so last year at Sydney GT, I stole Dave uh, from NashCon, Dave Griffiths, um, the way he does the objectives, or sorry, the secondary objectives, which he had like a, a deck of 19 cards, which I thought was a really interesting way to randomly generate them. Um, I know, Clint, we've had a, a few laughs occasionally because the way you word uh, the, the WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get around the, is it the Magma Dragon, uh, not being a high off dragon. We've seen them in other people's packs and had a little laugh. I, um, I've, yeah, it's, it's a Vargul for Son of Mongol and don't use the High Elf Dragon as a Magma Dragon. That has shown up in packs. I was reading a pack from Northern Ireland that has that exact sentence. So <laughs> it uh, it gets around. So, and, But then saying that, Bobo last year stole Sydney GT the way I did the Realms, and they even stole uh, my cheat sheet in regards to uh, each round and each of the, the spell and the command ability and the Realmscape feature. Uh, and that was a, a, a an event two times the size of my event. So there is a circle, and we're all kind of stealing the best of the best. Um, and I know Joel McGrath, who's in the chat at the moment, I stole the way he does the spells so people can sacrifice their spell law uh, to get access to um, one of the spells from the Mortal Realms, um, from Malign Portents, Sorcery, Malign Sorcery. But again, like there's good ideas coming around, so exposing yourself to packs or even seeing the way people do things it's like, yeah, just borrow it and make a mongrel of your own pack, the, the event that you want to run. Yeah. Yep. I, I think I read, the, Sorry, go on, Clint. <clears throat> I read packs for events that I have no intention of going to. Um, you know, I was reading a pack from Northern Ireland. Why? Because I wanted to see how they were doing things. You know, get, I a, to get a GoFundMe going. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I want to see what they're doing because they might have some really good ideas or different different communities do different things do things in different ways and you might look at it and go oh why have we never tried it this way or i wonder why they do it that way so you'll hit up the to and they say oh we we run stuff this way um because this is what our communities tend to do so yeah yeah and similar to what tyson has just uh, actually said in the chat is if you're a new TO and you're only running an event, um, the biggest mistake you can probably make with your player pack is trying to do a little bit too much with it and trying to do your own thing too early because, and you do see it with smaller events or newer events. You see, you look at the player pack and you read it. And often it's like independent stores that don't have a strong kind of Warhammer scene and they don't sort of uh, see event, uh, games played there that often. And they'll just, 
they'll write their own scenarios or, you know, they'll do something just wacky and you kind of look at it as a player and go, you know what, that's just not going to work and it will just turn off players. So if you keep it simple, you copy the the established events and, and you know, chuck a little twist in there. Uh, it, it can be anything, um, but keep the, the core, uh, similar to what I said before, keep that keep it simple about keep the game on the table pretty, pretty similar how to, people normally play it and people will have fun. Whereas if you write your own scenarios and someone turns up and they literally can't win a scenario, they're going to feel bad. They're going to vent about that on the internet and no one really likes it. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, Chris Welfare of the Mortally Wounded, they run Sydney Slaughter, which is a, a custom narrative event. But Chris releases those play, those uh, scenarios months in advance. Yeah. Now, some people Chris- don't like... Sorry, go on. Yeah, and Chris is a very good player and he knows what he's talking about and his run of vans and stuff like that. So when you get to that point, you can sort of start doing that kind of thing and throw your own little twist into it. But, yeah, particularly when you're new. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. looking at the likes of Liam to test it as well. So if you are going to write your own scenarios or your own things, test them before you send them out to the wild. Um, well, he he learned quite quickly that there was sometimes some of the scenarios that he did write, they needed to be practised because there was like one scenario like not la this year but the year before where like you could be smashing your opponent by holding all the ejectors but you could be losing on a particular roll of the dice and he was like oh i should have and he learned from that and he did that and then this year i'm pretty sure we practiced his scenario for like two like all these scenarios for like two months and everything was run smoothly but yeah like for me um the play pack doesn't actually have to be pretty as well like i do know like Anthony, yours, and same with um, all your play packs, actually all of you, they're really pretty to look at, but like I've seen some play packs where the Word document and it just has all the information on it. So like, I think the most important thing for a player pack is to make everything clear, if that makes sense. Like, look, go, especially go, for go, newbies. Go check out Joel McGrath, the Bush Bash, uh, I think is the mm-hmm. one that's coming up soon. I think it's like two player play, a two page player pack. It's clean, lots of detail. Then you look at the likes of CanCon or even my event and it's 10 to 12 pages because I want to be very thorough. So there's lots of different examples uh, and, you know, obviously find something in between um, for your yeah. scene. Um, yeah. I might pull up this question from the chat in, in, in regards to uh, Super Keen has asked about soft scores and um, thoughts on building soft scores into your packs or potentially at least some considerations if you would put a soft score in. Now, I'm not saying if it's good or not, but if you are, what's the decision and why? Hey, Nick, is this bringing back Twitter memories? Oh, man. Like, everyone has different kind of opinions on how things are run, and mine's probably different to Clint's, so let's see what Clint's is. Uh, <laughs> Bear well, back. I'm going to get, I'm gonna so get first, a popcorn. First, first, first off, what is a soft score for anyone who isn't familiar with this term? So a soft score is uh, basically anything that's a, a score that's not in any way related to gaming. So it might be uh, points for painting. Uh, it might be points for sportsmanship or gaming etiquette or things like that uh, to simple things such as getting a list on time. Um, and they're used to uh, reward players for certain things that TOs want to accomplish with their events, essentially. Um the painting generally if you have some sort of painting rubric uh to um to encourage people to bring painted armies to the event and you use that kind of to um enforce a certain painting standard you want your armies to look good so you reward points in that way uh sports scores 
uh, while a hugely controversial topic, uh, depending on who you talk to, uh, they can be used to uh, enforce a certain standard of player behaviour uh, by rewarding good behaviour with points that in the end will determine where you sit on the ladder. Um, so, so a couple of examples of that could be, did your opponent uh, arrive to the table on time? Did they, uh, were they clear with their rules? Um, you know, things like this that, and, I, and I've heard stories in the past where, you know, a player constantly goes to the bar all the time. So really that two and a half hours you may have allocated might only be an hour and a half. So um, that might be a behavior you're trying to reward or disincentivize. Um, Clint, go on. So I just wanted to clear that up if anyone isn't familiar yep. with that term. Just to elaborate on the points, yeah. Uh, so uh, coming back to Reese's question, where is it? Sorry. Uh, uh, I can bring that back up. He's just asking about um, are oh, we seeing them? Uh, I don't think they're going away. I think they're just being uh, perhaps scored in different ways. Like I don't think anyone has said, I'm not going to do a painting rubric in my decent-sized event. Uh, they're certainly not going away. Uh, capped uh, paint rubrics are probably the norm now, and they have been for a little while. I think what uh, Reese is probably referring to is the way that sports or etiquette now is being tracked. So once upon a time, they were, they were points that uh, often contributed to your end score, uh, whereas now we're sort of shifting away to we're still tracking people's etiquette, but they don't turn into points at the end of the event. And, and so... Um, it's it's going to be the tos have a, an accurate gauge of how people are, are acting uh, in their games, uh, but there's no opportunities for people to uh, to to carry hard feelings over in, into into people's scores. Which, um, while I don't believe it's happened in Australian events, um, I've there's some famous cases overseas with you know brothers uh, <laughs> knocking each other sports scores and things like that. Uh, that's that's a bit of a ultimate. Oh, that's my that's why, my favourite story. That's why Nick is laughing, but um, we won't go into that. Uh, but yeah, no, I think there's an evolution in how they're doing it. I don't think they're going away. We're just, I suppose, the scoring aspect is going away, but we're still tracking all those important things. Yeah, so. yeah, and, and and it's tough, right? Like I know a question that's all, always kind of contended is uh, in contention. Sorry, is. Uh, you know, did you have a good time or, you know, this is someone that you'd like to play again? I've seen that in packs in the past. And, you know, it's, it's quite hard for some people to separate. Is this person a jerk or are they just playing a super hard list like Doors of Cain? And some people, you know, rating their experiences really poorly because you've played a Salanesh and you fought last. Now, yeah. was that the player's fault? No, not really. It's, it's a rule. It's a part of the game. Um, so it's separating the two. But, and, and again, that, in itself causes some confusion and often um, some potentially bad tastes on both sides. Nick, you've got something to say about this. Yeah, so I've I've seen in the past sort of 12 months a, a similar shift to what we had towards the end of 8th edition or during 8th edition, um, and I apologise for always going, oh, back in 8th edition. Um, but it's that shift away from including the scoring. And so you started off... Uh, it started off people, some of the sports scores were more subjective. You had those questions. Did you enjoy your game? Would you play your opponent again? And I find those very awkward for the reasons you just mentioned, but even just for like I myself, when I first started playing events sort of uh, 12, 13 years ago, was I was a very introverted person. I didn't speak much. Like looking looking at where I'm now and on a podcast and on, on 
shows like this and stuff, I would have never thought that would happen. I was very introverted. And so I wouldn't have a bad game with someone, but you definitely weren't going to be giving me a best sports vote or something like that. And and potentially you would get, get knocked for that. Did you have a great game with that opponent or something like that? So I've, you see this shift away from that subjectivity and that's really good because I don't like that sort of subjectivity in it. If you're doing the right things in your game, you shouldn't get docked any points for it. And, you know, it even, you'd have events where you just rate your opponent out of five and it had this, this simple issue where some people would just give five saying, I'm not going to hit my opponent on sports unless they did something wrong. And some would go, well, four out of five is a great game. So, and some people would get fives for medium games and fours for, you know, great games and stuff like that so moving away from that subjectivity is important as far as i'm concerned and that's where there was some a little bit of controversy and stuff a while back with uh some of some you know arguments on the internet but you know everyone moves on from those and um the way i personally like to run sports at my events and and taking away painting because painting i think uh it's pretty established how it's done with these kind of capped systems um which i i'm a big fan of the way I like to do sports at my events is, is as Clint said, track the behaviour. So ask your players, you know, is my opponent measuring correctly? Are they on time? All that kind of stuff. But don't add it to their scores. If there's a discrepancy, if someone's saying, hey, I don't think my opponent was being clear or I don't think my opponent was measuring correctly, that's just a flag for you as a TO to go, okay, this is someone I need to keep an eye on. And so when you're roaming through the tables as a, as a TO in the next round, you keep an eye on that player and then you can kind of correct behaviour um, before it becomes a, a big issue. Um, and it also avoids situations where two players play a bad game against each other, they have some arguments about stuff and they look through that list for every little thing they can mark their opponent on down on and suddenly you've kind of lost a bit of control as the TO because they've gone, you know what, I'm going to nuke his score. And they won't even read it. They'll just go zero out of five for sports, bang, handed into the TO. And and that's not what you want, right? Like That's not mm-hmm. what you want them to do. And so if you've got that, if they do that, you'll still see that as a TO. And then you've got things that you can correct as a TO and you things you can watch. And if a player, I think, is... You know, pushing the edge a bit, I'll go over and I'll tell them, mate, I'm going to deduct, deduct your points. Or if I see this again, I'll just straight out kick you out. Because for me, if you're, if I think you're intentionally cheating an event, if I genuinely think someone's intentionally cheating an event, there's no sports deduction. It's just you're out. Um, if there's something unintentional behavior that needs addressing, generally I find talking to the person and saying, hey, this is what I've observed this is what I think needs to change. So being a bit more proactive than just letting them lose some sports points and at the end of the event go, oh, I lost some sport points, oh well. Yeah, I I think you've raised a really good point and potentially a nice lead in as well in in regards to being present as a TO, being available and not sitting behind a desk. And that often means that you may need a helper or helpers on the day. So I guess for me, it's about mitigating that. So not let if someone's having a bad game, nipping that on the butt and, and kind of uh, sorting that out on the spot uh, as opposed to waiting for that, that sports score to come in. Um, so how many helpers should you get or how should you be present um, during the weekend? Any, any tips or any advice or any things that you've seen that's worked really well? Uh, Nick, I might ask you first. 
it comes down to your pre-event organization. Uh, if you're well organized and you don't have to do everything in between uh, while the games are being played, you'll have time to just roam the tables and you'll have a better time as a TO because you get to go talk to people. You get to watch the awesome games being played, watch people having fun. And you can just have a, you know, a bit of bounce, have some interactions with people. We can heckle a little bit. Um, and, but it means you're available. And if you, if you do a lap of the tea, of the room every hour or so, even so that's only twice, twice around. People will see that you're there. They'll know that you're available, and then they'll, if they've got an issue, they'll raise it with you. And just again, encourage that at the start. Get up, say at the start of your event, "Hey, I'm judging this event. I'm running the event. If you have an issue with your opponent, rather than you guys getting an argument, just call me over. If you're measuring something and it's you don't know if it's you know seven point nine or eight point one inches, call me over. I'll measure it. I'll make a ruling. And if you, as a player, and I really encourage people as players to call a TO over if something is even slightly contentious because it's not a bad thing to call over a TO. And and somewhere I think there's a little bit of a stigma that's come in about calling a TO over two games, but call your TO over, get them to resolve it before it's even a problem. If I even think my opponent might have a slight issue with a measurement or something, I'll get the TO over just to confirm it. Or if I'm not sure about a rule interaction, double check it with a TO, your opponent sees that you're doing the right thing, trying to make sure everything's clear. And the, um, yeah, you know, the game goes on. It's generally quicker than sorting through your rule book and, and measuring it a billion times. But yeah, and as a TO, you kind of proactively can um, manage things. Also, if you're an experienced TO who's played a lot, been to a lot of events and in the scene, you kind of know the players. Like everyone knows the players that you got to watch out for at events. Just keep an eye on them. Put the... If you're doing random tables, you can put them on the tables near where you're sitting. If you know someone's going to be a problem, you put them nearby, you keep an eye on their tables, and you kind of head things off before they start. Yeah, no, well said. And, Clint, you you are a man that has lots of resources and helpers. Um, for all of the events you've run, whether it's a one-day or, you know, obviously as, as large as CanCon, when you, when you hire a helper or you get a helper, how many do you want? What are, the, what are the jobs that you're asking them to do? Like what's some of those considerations um, if I'm running an event? Uh, how many? Uh, probably yourself plus one for every 50 players, I guess, if you're just running the event. Um, so when CanCon was 105 players or whatever it was, uh, it was Dennis and myself and we could have definitely used the one extra set of hands. So that would be myself and two for the two lots of 50. And that would kind of, that would have kind of worked out really well. Um, and then at CanCon this year, when we went to the 200, we had, I think I had like five or something like that. I had a ridiculous amount. And then there was some, there was probably one person who wasn't doing something all the time. Did you just count for me, Liam? Thank you. Um, so I think, yeah, one for every 50 players plus yourself is probably good. Um, and they can be doing things like uh, running around, doing your time calls, which is really important, um, letting people know how long they've got, uh, making rules calls. Like if you've got – so we had in the CanCon team this year, we had some people who weren't great with rules, like they don't play much or whatever. They were definitely just there as a set of hands. Uh, if they got asked rules questions, they'd come and find one of the other people. Um, so, but if they're capable, they can do rules questions. They could 
help you mark painting. Um, they help you set stuff up. Um, you know, they go and collect and pass out score books or whatever if you're running, a, you know, the score sheet uh, sort of thing. Um, your data entry potentially. Yeah, yeah, data entry is a big one. Um, it's less of an issue now, I think, with everyone sort of moving away from, from manual scoring. Um, I, yes, I've finally seen the light and CanCon won't be using manual scoring next year. Uh, no, well, there's finally systems that do what I want, right? I looked I looked for 2019 and it just wasn't available. Um, but, yeah, so that you can have people do a whole range of jobs. And I think something that I've learned is that you have to tell people what their job is and you have to make sure that they can do it. Um, so we had some paint scoring at uh, CanCon that probably wasn't right. But that's just from, and I'll own that, uh, that's just from uh, me not being super clear with every single person who was running around painting exactly what the different levels were. So that's on me. Um, and so, yeah, training your, your offsiders is a huge thing. And that's something. Every every year with CanCon, I learn new things. Um, and so eventually it'll just be perfect, right? Or or, or not. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll find something else to stuff up, so... And we're all, we're always learning and we're always taking on feedback. Um, uh, I certainly learned a big lesson from Sydney GT last year where uh, I tried to rely on a system 100% and uh, it failed me at the time. Um, and I ended up having to go down and Nick kind of talked about sports score being between one to five. And unfortunately, that was the route I had to go because I didn't have my system up and running on the day. Uh, so I've learned about talking, uh, sorry, I've learned that I need a manual backup in case of emergency, whether it's a printed sports score or a printed just, you know, uh, scoring uh, that I can do with Excel or just having a plan B. Um, but it's alluded to a question that uh, Tristan Gray has asked around, will CanCon be using t t tabletop TO? Now, I'll let Clint answer that. But before we go there, um, we have alluded to systems. Now, there are plenty of systems out there to help you run events, whether it's uh, down under pairings, whether it's tabletop TO, best coast pairings. Um, there is probably lots of other systems that people are using. Um, now, I've taken the lead from, from Nick, um, who ran um, uh, down under pairings, an Australian-based system that uh, I know you guys had a great experience. A lot of the players were saying how good and in, how much they enjoyed the uh, the overall usage of the system during the day. Liam, you're you're putting your hand up like, yeah, this was great. Um, so I've moved over to it for Sydney GT. I don't know, Clint, do you want to make any announcements or is it still secret on what you're doing? Uh, no, we're looking to use down under pairings. Um, yeah, after Lord of War, uh, Nick and I had a big long chat about what it did, couldn't, couldn't do and how it would, whether it was suit uh, CanCon and and I was super impressed with, with, with that chat and so that's the route we're going, so... There, there, yeah, there are plenty of great systems out there that'll help you do matchups, do grudges, um, uh, to do things like I know even in tabletop TO you can um, you can do your, your painting score. So just know that there are digital ways to do the things that you want to do. So um, do use your Google Foo to find out ta tournament um, systems, uh, and, and most of them are free or very, very, very cheap. Mm. Um, very cheap. Yep. Speaking of cheap. What's the considerations on pricing? Like, how do you guys set your, your pricing structures? Clint, I'll go to you. You're an experienced man. 
Uh, yeah, Clint doesn't get to set it, does he? Yeah, that that's an interesting question to ask. Um, CanCon sort of dictate how that works. Um, basically, there's a fixed fee for people to attend to basically pay for the venue, um, and then I specify a prize pool on top. So I kind of figure out vaguely uh, how much I'd like uh, to spend on prizes, and then that gets added onto the the fee. So it's sort of I think it's about fifteen dollars a person or something like that uh, for CanCon. So that goes into a fairly decent pool, and we split out as much as we can. Uh, when I was running independent events, you just had to make sure. So basically, before you set your price, you've got to take into account your venue. What's your venue hire for the weekend? Um, the table hire, any terrain um, that you might borrow or be, you know, giving somebody fuel money to drive terrain from Brisbane to Toowoomba for you or something like that. Like all that sort of counts. Are you putting food on? Uh, when I used to run events in a hall, um, uh, the same hall where Toowoomba Open is going to be now, um, when we used to run events in that hall, we'd do lunch. We'd put lunch on for people and we'd do um, breakfast on the Sunday. So you factor that into your into your costings as well. How far are you going with trophies? What's the rough idea there? Um, and then, you know, a little bit of splash money for door prizes and things like that. And then you'd sort of divide that by um, a reasonable expectations of your players. So if you were running a 50-player event, but you've never run an event before, don't count on getting 50 people. Count on getting... If you count on getting half that, and then you do hit 50 people, then you've got all that extra money to buy bigger trophies or better food or more door prizes or whatever. But being real realistic in your budget, I think, um, is super important when setting your prices. Making sure you cover all the things. Um, I know the first time I ran an event, I didn't factor in ter making terrain. Like, I figured that that's an investment. Um, and I think it was about three years before I paid for all the terrain I made uh, from from running events, from running independent events. So, uh, but um, yeah, that's that's as far as independent non-CanCon events go. And Nick, yourself, anything from your uh, experience? Yeah, like the first thing I look at, and it's the biggest, generally the biggest cost is that venue cost. Um, and that's where like you've got to, kind of work out because that's the thing that you've got to generally pay beforehand and it doesn't change depending on how many players and that's the biggest it's generally the biggest cost so like TOing is a lot of work and you put we've all done it we've all put so many hours into events and you don't want to put so many hours in it because you're not getting paid for your hours right but you don't want to put that many hours in and then lose money like that's it's just an absolute kick in the teeth so like set that budget and figure out how much that venue is, which is your biggest thing, and figure out those minimum things you're gonna to have to buy and work out what you can charge so that a reliable amount of people, you know, you can generally figure out how many you you know you're gonna get. And like Clint said, if you're saying a 50, plus, a 50 player event, but it's your first time, aim for 25, start small or gradually build it and set your, set your price somewhere so that you can pay that venue off with half the amount of people that you're hoping for. And that yeah. way you're not going to lose money because nothing feels worse than not only have people not turned up to your event as many as you hoped and you've put all this time and effort into it, but suddenly you're 500 bucks in the hole because you didn't budget right for your venue. And that's an, like no one wants to be losing money on, on this hobby. Like we all drop enough money into it as it is, right? So yeah. as, far as, as far as pricing goes, um, 
tournament prices have generally been pretty stable. Uh, I remember they used to be sort of, you used to be able to factor in 20 to $25 per day. So a two-day event was generally around 50 bucks. That's been creeping up. Some events, um, you know, the Bendigo guys run really uh, lower cost events. Uh, they've got a great deal with their venue, which is awesome. It means you can play a two-day event for $30 or whatever they charge, which is sweet. Um, and then there's like with World of War, we tried to do a more premium event. So what we did is we went, we're going to charge, I think we charged 65 for the event. Um, and we went, we're going to charge a bit more than your average event, you know, average events between 50, 60 for a two dayer. We're going to charge 65 and potentially we'll push that up a little bit next year. I wouldn't go much higher than 70, but we'll push it up a bit higher and we want people to, you know, feel that the extra inclusion. So we put on lunch, 65 bucks, got your lunch both days, got you some tokens, you know, got you a venue with a bar in it and stuff like that. So we kind of, we went, you know what, we're going to be a bit more expensive. And like the Moonstruck event we ran, um, we ran that at, a, at the Ibis Hotel in Melbourne in the CBD. Like this was in a corporate like hotel venue uh, for conferences and we were charging 85, 90 bucks a head, but you got two really good meals, like really big solid meals in the in the kitchen downstairs and it's, you know, CBD venue, stuff like that. So you can charge more as long as, again, you set that expectation. If you set the expectation to players that it's going to be a premium event and they're going to get premium, you know, weekend out of it, you can charge that premium price. If you set the expectation that it's going to be, you know, the cheap, you know, cheaper, not cheap and nasty, but a very simplified event, but then you're charging 80 bucks a head, again, players will be unhappy. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I would add just work out your cost before you work out your pricing. So think about those things that, you know, so uh, I know when I um, I did my Sydney GT and you know, I've moved to a large event, like I've got uh, one of the largest uh, leagues clubs in Australia, or at least in, in Sydney. Uh, it's a premium, premium event and it's a beautiful event, but it's cost money. Um, so I knew that I needed to get uh, X amount of bums on seats. I knew that, um, you know, I needed a certain amount of trophies, but before I went and got trophies, I thought about, well, at uh, a certain amount of players, maybe let's say it's top 30 or top 40 players, I would only get certificates. I'd print off some nice certificates at Officeworks and then anything more than say 30 or 40 people, that allows me to get trophies. And the more that the more players um, I'm getting, um, the more funds that I have, which means I can invest those dollars in other places so I can make more trophies or more price support or um, uh, whatever it might be. Um, so some things to consider as well um, is, is, you know, exactly what Nick said. Don't go in the whole 500 to $1,000 because I've seen TOs fall into those traps in the past. It's, it, it feels bad for them. It feels bad for us when I hear that a TO's lost money putting on an event for me. But at the same time, you know, part of that's the budgeting and also um, the expectation setting. So just it's a fine line and, and um, look what other people are doing and um, see where you can pull your resources as well. Um, I know Chris Welfare, for example, is lending me five battle mats. Uh, there are, you know, tra uh, Travis is lending me 40 tables that I can use at Sydney GT. So I don't have to buy everything up front, ask people around, whether it's those games clubs, whether it's the, the, the players or even TOs like me, uh, maybe I can lend them to you or for a small fee that I can reinvest in my own terrain. Um, so take advantage of, um, of the other people around you. What I was going to say was, um, since we did say for, if you're starting out TOing and stuff is to start at a store, like 
your ticket price would generally probably be like whatever a one day event or two day event would be at the stores, which kind of saves you like, I mean, that just saves you like understanding like the budget you go, cool, this is how much it's going to be and stuff there. Cause yeah, like all that kind of stuff when you're starting out small, just work it out. Um, but that comes to our next question is like with prizes, like where do you allocate the prizes? If that makes sense, like where, like, is it like mainly, like, do you guys mainly put stuff in for like the hobby side or like the gaming side or like what, what is the general plan on prizes or ideas for prizes? Like this year we've seen a sword, can call we saw a hammer. And then I'm pretty sure we saw a flask at Lords of War. So like where, like, what do you guys do for prizes and stuff when it comes to TOing? Clint? Um, I think it's important to reward, um, like the different aspects fairly equally. Um, I think having all of your prizes uh, in, say, gaming, and then, so gaming, you get a trophy and a KR case and 100 bucks and these beautiful bikini girls and you won best painted and you get this this paintbrush and, and a $20 voucher for somewhere. Like that's going to... It's going to, I suppose, create a bit of bad feeling in people who are there for the, the hobby. They feel that perhaps their hard work isn't being rewarded, um, I guess, and things like that. So I, I try and make sure that, like, when I'm doing my CanCon prizes, I'll have all of the positions that I'm rewarding. So your best overalls, your, your, your best opponents, best alliance, um, your hobby awards, and they're all getting a trophy and what that trophy's worth and are they getting vouchers or other prizes that people have donated or um, that kind of thing and just making sure of the values of that because it might seem that, okay, well, it first gets this and this and this because they won it, da, 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 and all of a sudden you're giving, you know, $300 worth of stuff to this guy and, and $30 worth of stuff to the guy who came second. And I kind of just making sure... Like not everything has to be ruled by monetary value, but it just kind of seeing that reinforces where you yeah. like where how your prize divvying out is, um, and also making sure that uh, it's not just the people who win that get stuff. Um, so previously, like um, wooden spoons, a big like deal in that sort of thing. Like everybody sort of rewards um, wooden spoon and things like that, and I think. Uh, for the first couple of can cons, I did wooden spoon and then second wooden spoon. Um, like the, the player who wasn't quite bad enough to get wooden spoon. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, or, you know, uh, the top, the whole top 10 at CanCon get something. Um, so if you came fourth, you still get a voucher and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, and then the narrative prizes this year at CanCon were to help spread out those prizes amongst the other players as well, to give people something else um, something else that people can uh, try for and make sure that everyone gets has the opportunity to get something from an event. Before I throw it over to Nick for his idea, I just want to call out as well, um, something that I consciously made a decision last year to do was to make sure that my worst terrain wasn't on the bottom tables as well because nothing sucks than being on the bottom tables and yes, it's good to allocate additional prizes to the to wooden spoon, but also put them on a good table. 
give them some good terrain and you know help them have a fun time after they've probably been smashed once twice three times and that's why they're at the bottom um that's a that's a consideration that i would uh i would call out if you're not already doing and some of the best some of the best some of the best painters are the worst players so some of the best looking armies are going to be down the bottom of the event so why wouldn't you have the nice terrain down there because then you can take pretty photos right yeah Uh, yeah at first KenCon, uh, we were on a corner, so I made sure all the good armies, all the nice armies, were around the outside where people walked. So <laughs> as they walked past, they got to see all the really nice armies. Is that and- why I was in the corner? Far out. <laughs> so, that, yeah, so people kind of got to see the nice stuff as they walked past. Why would you not try and market the, the game that way? Yeah. So. Put the best Put the best-looking players on the edge. Sometimes it's both. <laughs> Shout out to my uh, boy, Danny Carroll. Yeah, so for Lord of War, we were really lucky. We um, we had some really good sponsors supporting the event, and they gave us the ability to – and something we really wanted to focus on was, was sharing the love. So from a budgetary perspective with the prizes, my first focus is trophies, and I'll spend – I'll happily spend more on trophies than I will on – prizes because at the end of the day we all spend a lot of our disposable income on on toys and so getting a hundred dollar voucher yeah it's cool but at the end of the day you look at how much we spend on the hobby some years a hundred dollar vouchers drop in the pool right drop in the ocean so cool trophies things you can take away and put on your shelf and go hey cool i you know went well at that event it's a, a a memento that reminds you of the good time you had at that weekend which a unit of you know dudes that you paint up maybe won't so the first thing for me is is trophies and people like prizes as well and it, when you've got the budget it's good to do both um but yeah for me we did trophies and we did um we did prizes and we tried to really spread the love with the um the prizes um you know tyson's just mentioned top heavy prize structures don't work in aos and that's something we tried to step away from a little bit if you're winning the event you're probably already having a great time you don't need to go home with a crazy amount of stuff we you know, we had the budget to do a, a decent amount of stuff, but what we also got to do was just spot prizes. And we had, you know, we had funny prizes for like most medium player, which was the player that ranked dead in the middle and, you know, last place. But we also had, you know, we did, we had eight trophies, eight trophies, I think, nine trophies for, or nine little medals for anyone who got a painting nomination. We had medals for anyone who got a, um, a, best, a judge's painting nomination um so we got to do that we got to do extra sports prizes things like the most sporting team um so the like the south australian guys won that as a group um which is cool but then we also we just sent nick gentilly around with a bunch of product and just he would randomly rock up at tables and be like play rock paper scissors for this general's handbook you know play rock paper scissors between the two of you for some contrast paints or some some you know paints or some brushes or something so just and and that we kind of focused on those lower end tables where people potentially weren't picking up the prizes uh that they at near the top and so it just spreads the love and it feel it makes everyone feel included and you know everyone walks away with a, a little bit of something yeah something that i did last year that uh seemed to be really popular that i'm bringing back and i know uh doom and darkness stole it for saggy tea was um, I did something each round. I had what was called a negative achievement where um, the first person, like ra- let's say round one, the first three people to fail a three-inch charge could come up to me at the TO desk and take a prize away. Then the next one might be trying to cast a spell with a double one. 
Uh, if they failed with the double one, they walk away with a prize. Uh, you know, very similar vein to Nick. If someone's having a bad time and, you know, that, that role just doesn't go their way, it's a nice way to spread the love. And I think if I think of an event who spreads the love the most, I've got to give credit to the Bruce Hammer boys who, you know, you you walk away with a set of five Bruce Hammer dice, you walk away with a sticker, you walk away with a combat gauge, you walk away with a nice little swag kit. Clint, I know you do it. Nick, I know you do it. Uh, a lot of events do it, but certainly making sure everyone walks away with something. Um, and these accessories don't have to cost a lot. Um, whether they're 3D printed, like what I'm supporting a uh, Warcry event with coming up soon, uh, whether they're acrylic, whether, you know, they don't have to be expensive, but um, spreading the love uh, is, is important and not just going top heavy as um, Tyson's already pointed out. Yeah, if you've got 50 players and you, and, you know, you're charging everyone 50, 60 bucks to, to play, you can find a dollar or two each. You know, it's 100 bucks out of your, your budget to give everyone, a, a you know, just a, a, a combat gauge, one of the three-inch gauges, because everyone collects those in, from different events and stuff. They're, they're not expensive. They're little acrylic things, like places, heaps of places will do them up for you. And it just gives something, everyone something to take home no matter where they finish, no matter what happens, they get to take something home, and that's a good feeling for players. Nick, question from uh, Tristan Gray, and he said, for a, if you're a smaller tournament, let's say it's an 8- to 12-player tournament, what do you think the most important thing you'd want to offer them? Um, tough one. Um, what's the most important thing? I'm trying to think what the budget would be. Like just a small prize, like a certificate. Um, most important thing uh, is just a run and good event where everyone walks away having a good time because, you know, your budget – probably won't cover much with that many players. And that's that's where you want to run into a store because a lot of stores will go, and like Good Games in Melbourne are really great with us. They go, we're going to charge everyone 20 bucks, 25 bucks a head, but you know what? We'll give you that back in store credit for prize support. So you don't have to worry about prize support. Then you print off some certificates. You give everyone some certificates. They get a little gift card. Uh, you can't lose money on the event because they're just charging you per player and you get a little bit of prize port. And a lot of stores will be open to that. Might not be full, but they might give you half your value back in, in, in vouchers. And, you know, it works for the store, works for you. Win-win, right? Yeah, absolutely. What's the, what's the best way to promote an event? Let's say I've set up the event, I've done all this great work, and now I'm ready to tell the world about my awesome event. How do you promote the event? Uh, and let's assume that you don't have a podcast. Or a YouTube channel. <laughs> start start drama on Twitter. I was going to say that. Start drama on Twitter. Make Every people wait about your event. There start drama so everyone blocks you and then you can't reach anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't know. Know. I don't know, Anthony. What is the best way to promote an event? Because I think, you know, um, you're all over MySpace, you're all over Bebo. Um, <laughs> I've, I've had a single. <laughs> I've had is a still a thing? I don't know. Um, you would know out of all of us. Uh, I've had a singing telegram at my office this week saying that Sydney GT is coming up. Um, so, yeah. Uh, basically, if it's a local event, uh, get the your locals. Like, if it's an event at a store, get them to put it on their Facebook page and talk about it maybe, like, once a week until they... You know, just a post once a week, just reminding people that it's happening. Um, if you basically, I think pretty much every region in Australia now has a Facebook group 
that uh, is dedicated to the AOS community. You know, Sydney's is huge and covers pretty much most of Australia, not just Sydney. Uh, there's, there's a Queensland one. There's like a Southeast Queensland one. You know, the Northmen have one. Um, you know, Bendigo Boys, there's a Melbourne one, South Australia, whatever. Get in that group and shout out about your event. Um, you know, let people know it's coming up. Um, you might live in some obscure part of, of your state uh, and think that nobody's going to pay attention, but you'll find a couple of people on there that you may not have met before that will be interested in coming to your event. Um, you know, the the first ever event that I ran in Toowoomba was like 12 players, but we had folks come from Brisbane who I'd never met before, and they're like, they, they'd seen that there was this AOS event happening in Toowoomba, you know, an hour's driveway, hour and a half driveway. And they're like, cool, we'll go and go to that. And now, you know, uh, those people are, you know, they are integral to the scene, you know. Um, so Facebook is a, Facebook groups are a really good uh, thing to do. The Australian uh, Age of Sigma group has an event calendar, which is really good. Uh, lets people know when events coming up. It's also really good for when you're on a schedule your event because uh, it tells you when all the all the taken weekends are already. Um, but yeah, if you get your event on there, it gets shouted out on stuff as well. Um, so that, that's where I get that list that I showed you yeah. guys earlier. Like, um, and I'm sure there are other creators out there who are stealing that. Um, uh, I'll shout out for our international reps as well. Places like TGA. Um, Absolutely, yeah. A lot of people yeah, used to use TGA, especially the the overseas guys. Um, okay. um, I want to ask Nick in a second, but uh, even um, Michael Thompson called out, you know, go to CanCon and tell everyone. <laughs> I think. Well, I think there's two folds in that. One, get to know people. I think the the more that you're meeting people and and having either online conversations or offline conversations. The moment they see that, you know, Liam, Liam's putting on an event and they know Liam, they like Liam, they trust Liam uh, to who a degree. Uh, who are these people? Well, there's a, probably a couple of them out there. Uh, but if they did like Liam and trust Liam and they're like, oh, Liam's putting on an event, um, or maybe, you know, because Liam's a nice guy, he might shout it out to uh, on his Twitter or his Instagram, um, you know, get him to help you um spread the word as well you know if i was setting up an event for the first time i'd use someone like dan aos shorts and be like hey man can you shout out my event tell the world um tap into people to to help amplify that message yeah it's like it's networking and it's we did it we did it for lord of war because a bunch of the people that were at lord of war we hadn't really seen before and we, at CanCon, like we launched three, I think we sold tickets two weeks after CanCon. And at CanCon, we were all, we would talk to people and we'd be say, hey, we're running an event in a couple of weeks, keep an eye on it, Lord of War, you know, this is what we're trying to achieve. So you just network, you talk to people. But um, one of the points you raised earlier, um, Coach, was the um, have a podcast. You don't even need to have one. Like you don't even, but you don't even need to have one because, and, and you guys will be the same. If if someone messages us at the dwellers and say, hey, I'm running an event in a couple of weeks or in a couple of months, this is the event. Can you give me a shout out? We'll do it and we'll happily shout it out because we want to see the scene grow. And exactly what you did at the start of the uh, this show was you showed the upcoming calendar. And so get yourself on that calendar. If you Even if you're not, you know, doing a podcast or creating content, send us a message, um, and, you know, send Clint a message, send Anthony a message, you know, they'll, they'll mention you on your show, on their show, and that and people will listen to that and go, okay, cool. 
that's something to keep uh, keep an eye on and you know you don't have to pay money for that kind of stuff it's just it's easy because we want to see the scene grow and we'll, we'll, we'll shout out events all the time yeah and I, and I was obviously joking about that but last year i ran three three events the team event the narrative event and my first gt and that was before the the no how long have i had this channel for oh it's very early you're on doing, in the channel you did, you did it's very, it was very early on like i didn't have a, a large audience at that time but I think, you know, use, use the, the, the content creators out there. And I've shown you already a list of either podcasters and, you know, people like Gabe who have a blog, um, you know, use the people who are really good on Twitter and Instagram, you know, hit up those Facebook groups. There are, um, there are large voices you can tap into, um, scale Liam. Yeah. You gonna say something? No, I'm literally just like saying like TGA and all that stuff. And I literally just got a notification from TGA. I was like, oh. So we believe they should have talked about that. Ben, but, ben, um, ben I, I hear whispers that Ben Curry might have new scenery dice in the next two weeks. Just maybe that's <laughs> what that message is about. No, he was literally telling me to go to his Blood and Glory event. I'm like, hmm, no, um, not is happening. He, is, he is he telling you to get accommodation for it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the funniest last year. But, but, but there's, there's marketing and then there's like too much marketing, right? And there's the Ben Curry version <laughs> of marketing. By the way, Blood and Glory was excellent two years ago. I would definitely go back. Confirm um, Warhammer hero Ben Curry. Let's look at it. Well, that, I, I, I met him prior to being a Warhammer hero. So maybe um, maybe he's got the ego. No. What do we reckon? Uh, we're going to nom nominate Clint this year? Yeah, we'll nominate Clint. No, I feel like he's past it. Uh, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready yeah. to nominate. I, I want to nominate Smorgan. Maybe if you'd made if you'd made Cancon three hundred nomination. Yeah, maybe Look, if you made Cancon three hundred, you got a chance. Smorgan has like four yeah. Twitter accounts. I feel like he he has got a larger voice in the community than Clint now. All right, Smorgan for president. Smorgan haiku. Smorgan daily. Daily Smorgan haiku. Smorgan and the disappointing real Smorgan. Actually, and it all Ken started with one photo. Yeah. Yeah. Ken, Ken's actually raised a point. As I said, a, a, a tournament calendar would be awesome. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan Iowa Shorts is starting yeah, putting yeah. together a calendar. He's got that, yeah. 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 So Dan's got an international one, and in the Warhammer Australia Age of Sigma, the Warhammer Age of Sigma Australia group, there's one for Australian events. Uh, and that's the, that's the one that we, um, uh, that we shout out at the end of every Herald's episode, so... Get on there. Get into that group, Ken, and then you'll see all the tournaments. Now, I know Nick has to get off uh, very soon, and I feel like we're kind of starting to wrap up, but uh, there's one question that I want to ask maybe uh, before Liam wants to ask any further ones, but I guess the last question I want to throw to you guys from myself would be, what lessons have you learned uh, from being a TO that either a new TO may not be conscious of or aware of or uh, a lesson that you've learned over time um, that you'd want to share? Well, Nick can go first because he has to go soon. I do have to scoot. Um, probably just keeping it simple. And it's kind of, it's a similar thing that I've been talking about all, all, all this episode is keep it simple, you know, get the fundamentals correct. Um, and then once, you, once you've kind of, events aren't that difficult to run. At, at their core, they're not that difficult to run. Some people, you know, get a bit scared about running them. Get your reps in, get in. It's a really rewarding day. And that's the biggest thing for me is it's a really rewarding day or two days. You come away from it going, wow, I did that. That was great. Uh, everyone had a good time. So get the practice in, run small ones, get in there. And, 
you know, don't be afraid of it because it's it's good, it's rewarding, it's not that difficult, but there are plenty of mistakes to make. Um, so start simple and you'll pick them up because the, most of the mistakes, once you've started doing it, they're pretty obvious, but if you haven't done it before, sometimes they can catch you out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Not, and, with not that, and with that, I will I'll love you and leave you. Thank you very much, Coach, for having me on the show. Uh, Liam, was great to see you last week. Clint, uh, we'll catch up. And, uh, probably yeah. see more and, of me. And, and Nick, if people want to find you outside of this show, where can they find you? Yeah, so the Dwellers Below podcast, um, which is the dwellersbelow.net, uh, also at the Dwellers Cast on Twitter. We haven't had an episode in like two months because I've been overseas, but we're hopefully recording this weekend. Um, so, yeah, get on that. Uh, at some call it luck, uh, the father of lies on Twitter. Um, and, yeah, on Facebook, the Dwellers Below. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you there. We'll see you at CanCon. Indeed. Thank you very much for having me. And good luck for uh, Sydney GT. Unfortunately, it was too close to my big Europe trip that I couldn't uh, head up there. I'll hopefully be up at uh, Runex, though. We'll hopefully have a Dwellers team. So hopefully we'll see heaps of people there because that's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be a really yeah. good one. But we, we haven't wrapped up chat. We're just going to drop Nick off. So thanks very much. Love um, you guys. See you, mate. Yeah. Don't fail your screen test. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really big me. Um, so, Clint. What uh, what things have you learnt as a TO that someone may not have learnt yet? Do not bite off more than you can chew. Um, it may seem like a good idea to bake your first event a two-day uh, GT or something like that. Don't do that. Run a store event. Um, run a small one-day. Run something nice and simple uh, because you will learn uh, lessons from that uh, whether it's uh, how well you schedule, uh, how well um, people in your area respond to events. Um, it was interesting. The first time I ever ran, ran an event, uh, breaking my own rules, I ran a two-dayer. And unfortunately, so what had happened was we had uh, a TO in Toowoomba who had, was running events, um, had left a really bad taste in people's mouths. He'd taken people's money and disappeared and things like that. There was there's a whole bunch of stuff there. So when it came time for me to run an event, people were like, well, Toowoomba is, you know, dodgy. Do I, do I want to waste my time, you know, even though this is a different guy? So instead of having the 30-odd people who had said that they would come to this event, I had uh, 20. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit much uh, to to do all at once. And if I had my time again, I'd just run something simple. Uh, but uh, I think organization, uh, every year I, I learn how um, to organize certain aspects of the tournament better. Um, and there, um, and that's and that's what I learn every year is to just make sure I'm super organized. And it, every year something I haven't thought of isn't quite as organized. And I just yeah, tweak that every, as, as I go along, so. Yeah. Um, so and Lee what about yourself from, from your first event that you ran? What did you learn? Well, I got some people to give me feedback about my event. And they said, actually, you did quite good because mine was like 24 people. It was like manageable. Um, and everyone, most of the players there knew what to do in an event, which kind of helped out. And that makes sense. Like there was like three people where it was like their first event. So everyone kind of like helped them out. And they were like my focus to like just give them a heads up. But I think the one thing is if you're running at a venue, uh, please chat to the kitchen because I know that there's some TOs 
um, that have had this experience where the kitchen ran, I think, 45 minutes late. And that ran. And as we talked about earlier, if you can't, like, you lose time, like, and stuff. So um, I can't emphasize that. So when I ran my event and I knew that happened, I literally, first thing I did was, like, where's the kitchen at? I'm going to tell them, blah, blah, blah. And like getting on people's case about that. So that's if you're running at a venue, um, places like CanCon, I know Clint, everyone's, it's self-efficient. Like they go sort that out. That's not your thing. Like they finish the game on time and then go off and then they come back. Like it's the players kind of thing. Like that's not on you, but if you're running an event at a venue, that's it. So I know Magro, you're probably going to be telling people if you finish your game, go order food, I'm guessing. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, I was going to say this probably goes in nicely to what Nick was saying about uh, organising food for the for the players by batch ordering pizzas or, or Subway platters or something. You're actually able to shave that time down because um, mm-hmm. you know that the kitchen's not going to get smashed and you're a bit more in control. But on the flip side, uh, if people have finished their games, you might want to say, guys, go order your food so you don't have that weight. At the same time, I'm at Canterbury Leagues, which, again, is a massive, massive venue, which has uh, more than one cafeteria and restaurant. So I know that they can handle it. But if I was concerned that they couldn't handle the 100-odd players, then I would just need to make sure that my lunch break was was larger. Um, yeah. Or I need to find ways to, to sharpen up that time, which kind of goes into a question that I know, Liam, you're going to answer from the chat. Okay. So Tristan asked us, um, round times two and a half or two forty-five. My answer is two forty-five, um, just because I know for a fact, as a player, especially a competitive player, when I go through my opponent's list, I spend ten minutes running through my list and their list and deployment and getting the scenario down pat. Like that's for me, and also that extra fifty minutes is important because I do know that it sucks when. You run out of time and most times all you need is that extra 15, 15 minutes to get an actual perfect score or like the right score, if that makes sense. Because I know in some scenarios you need three turns or four turns to actually get a score or like a final thing result. So yeah, that's my answer to it. Clint, your thoughts? Two and a half or 245? 245. Um, look, I'd love three. Um, but mm. uh, just that makes the day so long. Long, uh, not yep. just not just for tos, but also for players. Like there's a lot of um, a lot of brain work that goes into playing Warhammer, and, and by the end of the day, you might have just stood around for all of your day, but you're you are tired. Um, and three yeah. hour times is is for two thousand points is probably. It's also possibly just a tad too long. So it's two two hours fifty is probably the right to- amount of time. Yeah, yeah. But my all- my my uh, thoughts. Uh, it depends on your audience. I know that's not a very hand- helpful answer, but it's it's you know thinking about do you have new players or inexperienced players? Newer players uh, may need more time. How complicated are you going to have uh, the game? Will be use will you be using scenery tables, the realmscape features, realm spells? Uh, are they custom scenarios? Are they scenarios that you're announcing on the day? Some some tournaments um, uh, will announce uh, each round by round, or some will will tell them which five scenarios they're playing well in advance. So yep. if you are going to go down this two and a half to two forty five, you need to find efficiencies. 
Um, yep. You might, as a tournament organizer, have each of the pieces of terrain already labeled uh, for the table, um, whether it's yep. mysterious or arcane. You may look for efficiencies like having uh, a, a cheat sheet and the scenarios in advance, and uh, they can they can they can have something on the day, so they're not flicking through books. And what I've done is I've collated the Realmscape features with the scenario on a one pager, so that they're not yeah. flipping between books and they're not getting confused. It's just clean, and they can also practice in advance. So. Yep. Um, uh, and also my thing about the venue, I know some venues may not open till 10 o'clock uh, or, you know, you don't want people to go into their dinner breaks. So um, think of your audience, think of your location, think about the game that you want to run. Um, 245, so, I think is better, but yeah. So Magro, for your event, you're running, you're doing two and a half thousand points. Mm -hmm. How long's yours? Uh, three hours, 15. Three hours, fifteen. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, and and one of the and one of the ways that we found that as well is I asked the players. I said, guys, do you yeah. want to do three hours, three four, three fifteen, or um, three three and a half? Um, three fifteen. Three fifteen is where we landed because again, I asked the players, and that was the the majority. But you got to remember, if we do, let's say three and a half hours, we do that by three games on the first day, which is Saturday. We're at what um, plus a That's lunch break? Ten hours. Plus That's a lunch break, we are yeah. we're almost at the twelve hour mark. That's not considering registration and the the breaks in between. Do people want to do twelve hours? It's a long day, and then come back for day two. Mm, probably not. No. So, it's one of the considerations. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. Like, yeah, to answer Tristan, Tristan just did say it's for like most people doing at the twenty. I say two hours forty five. Um, and that's just me because I do know that I spend, especially in the current moment with my record, um, I need to be super clear with my rules and also me and Magro working on my presentation on my list. Um, so like pretty much I had to explain it. And I think most people are the same where they want to explain their rules correctly. So you don't feel bad for like getting a gotcha kind of moment by accident, if that makes sense. Well, another great example um, could be, I know, um, a AOS Reminders, which is a website that's out there, allows you to create a cheat sheet. So, uh, again, to help speed up play, you might look for resources like that or give them tokens to mark the terrain features. Yeah. Um, you, just finding efficiency so they've got more game time. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so hopefully that helps you out, Tristan. Tristan does say thanks. Um, one question I do really want to ask because... Clint, I think you have probably experienced this, especially in the past year. Um, have you ever had to handle player conflict? And what did you do? Um, yeah, there's been player conflict on certain different things. Um, what sort of... Are we talking in-game conflict or out-of-game conflict? or oh, all the conflict. All of the conflict. Okay. All so. the conflict that there's a high chance that I may have gotten involved in. Oh, look, I think I think it's a case of uh, listening to both players' cases um, and then coming to a fairly quick uh, decision um, as far as um, as far as the, because the, sorry, the, the conflict is generally about a rules or an, or an interaction at the table. Uh, so coming, 
coming to a quick decision about that is fairly uh, vital. Uh, that's something I learned in my first event. Um, I ummed an art on a ruling and it kind of just got a little bit out of hand and um, I've been fairly, um, uh, fairly strict on that after that, sort of up going forward. Um, yeah. I think when it comes to any of that sort of stuff, um, whether it be players cheating or something like that, uh, doing something I think is super important because there's been some events where uh, behaviour has been reported or things have happened uh, and, not, and there's been no action taken. Um, so that spirals out and becomes stories and people talk about it and things like that. So And it passes on to other events, yeah. It passes on to other events or certain people have reps after that uh, so basically uh, doing something about it, I think, is super important. Um, yep. We have uh, some interesting uh, uh, some interesting stuff happening at CanCon this year with the gentleman who had decided to neck a couple of bottles of vodka, apparently, uh, mm -hmm. during his games and uh, was not able to play correctly. Um, so that was a different sort of conflict where we had to escort him out of the venue and make sure that he didn't come back, which he tried to do several times. Um, and, uh, you know, we had to kind of keep ushering him out so it didn't become a thing. Um, it was not certainly what I had anticipated uh, starting that day. So <laughs> that's a different yeah. conflict. Um, yes. Um, I, think, I think trying to be incredibly fair listening to both sides of the story uh, and making a decision quickly, uh, as quickly as you can. Um, and then if perhaps at the, making a decision at the time is more important than taking 10 minutes and trying to make the absolute watertight best decision. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like taking yeah. two minutes to go, okay, well, it looks like this rule, this says this and the FAQ says this, then we have to go this way. And then if you find out later that that's not correct, unfortunately you just have to apologize and that's that's what you do but if you yeah. take 20 minutes to look up every forum and every faq and this you know um that's going to uh that's not going to work well so yeah yeah i know that you and i i'm going to put this out that um one thing that you did i myself i got me and a player called lee from new zealand we had an issue where we submitted our pack and then we both, then one, I think Lee and his group worked out where we played scenario wrong. And then you got put in a position to make a decision, right? And I think the way we handled it was probably like, probably the fairest way or like not dealing with like a bad taste, if that makes sense. Even though I yelled, but <laughs> I, even though I yelled because it wasn't in my favor, but I think that kind of conflict though, like, managing that is probably like really important to a TO. And I think you did it quite well because you're like, let's chat, see what we want to do. And then we all came to an agreement and then we moved on. Hmm. If that makes this sense. Like, I think we, this was after we found you because you were missing, even though you should have been there at the venue. I was having, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Anyways. um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Look. That, that certainly didn't help things, but no, what you said there is. Yeah. Um, and I think players just need to, um, uh, players just need to accept that calls are made and you can yeah. have to speak about them later, but getting on with stuff is, is more important. 
Yeah, yeah and, Ken, funny, and, um... and, and Ken's, Ken's raised an excellent point, which is something that we all do on a frequent basis, and that is just roll the dice if it comes down to it. Um, Why do you say that, Ken? That's the only thing that, in this particular instance with Lee and Liam, um, it was the only thing that we could do because time had moved on. Uh, there was, um, time was, time had moved on. There were some other considerations. So in the end, we just had to, like, 50-50 it because there was no, either way, somebody was going to feel bad uh, and we just... Well, no, we, we rolled off to see whoever rolled higher and we're like, cool, that's it, done, moved on. Like and yeah. um, yeah, and then we also had conflict at Masters and then you also handled that really well, where, um, which was good. Um, and I think that's probably the toughest thing for a TO is like dealing with conflict. Um, and I know well, that I think in Sydney Slaughter, we almost had a punch on. Yeah, look, conflict happens. Um, uh, play, some players just rub each other the wrong way. I think it's just, you know, mm. we're, we're forcing interaction. And unfortunately, uh, whether it's a manner, whether, you know, someone might think they're rude or they've seen something about them online or um, they don't like the army and it's just, you know, put in a bad position or maybe they've had a bad day before they got to the event. Like conflict happens. Um, yeah. We just we need to accept that we need to show strong leadership and make tough calls. Um, uh, Tyson made a really good comment is just sticking to, to your, your, your calls. Um, yeah, and, and, and know that you're going to make mistakes. Uh, it happens in sports. It happens in business. It, it's going to happen here. And I think we, we as players all appreciate and recognize that, um, if you are doing things, uh, not bias you are listening to both sides and, and and making the best decision with the information that you have um it's a tough call but unfortunately is it has to happen um yeah. don't let it get into a punch on yeah absolutely like i know for a fact for me i've rubbed countless people the wrong way um it's but has communities <laughs> look i've improved quite well um but yeah, like, and I remember at CanCon, I had an opportunity to make um, make a better, like, pretty much fix it. And I do remember that matchup and everyone who was at Masters were, like, literally getting the popcorn ready because they were expecting a second show. And, yeah, and then, like, you just, when you rub someone off the radio, you just try and make it fixed. And that's probably the best way. And, like, and the best thing was, like, none of the TOs. Oh, no, wait, I think one TO did say, I forgot who it was, said, like, Liam, can you try and make this the best outcome? possible because we don't want another run like masters um and then like that was it and then like i think both me and that player's reputation then was fixed where everyone's like oh they're not as bad if that makes sense and i think that was really cool um but yeah um next question um when you got started with running events i know clint you started making terrain last year is that Sorry. right you started making terrain last year for like last year's CanCon. Like I remember you did your pretty much started doing your own terrain when you less relied on other people. If that makes I've, sense. I've made terrain for every year. Every right. year? Okay. From when I was throwing stuff in eighth edition. Um, okay, cool. So how much of it now have you went from borrowing people's terrain to now it's your own? Okay. Uh, so the first two years, we did it mostly us um, with just a couple of uh, borrowed tables and things like that. Um, 
last or this year for 2019, you know, we doubled in size uh, and a bunch of communities uh, decided, like threw up their hands and said, look, well, we can give you 10 tables or we can do this or that. That was really cool. Uh, was yep. Really appreciated. Um, we had some, some issues coming out of that though, unfortunately, uh, train mix-ups. Uh, one person who let me a mat, his went walking, uh, which I've, I don't believe is is somebody pinching it. I reckon it's just in somebody's mat stash somewhere that they haven't noticed. Um, uh, so for 2020, uh, we're going back to just our terrain. And so I've been working my butt off to make um, enough terrain for all of the tables. Uh, and obviously GW have come to the party and, and given us a stack of stuff, um, which it might've seemed like a huge stack, but when you're doing sort of uh, five or so pieces of, of terrain a table for 120 um, for 120 tables. Uh, it didn't sort of go as far as I'd hoped. So, yeah, uh, I make terrain all the time. I mean, if you're a newer if you're a newer TO, uh, obviously it's a lot, a lot easier to uh, to manage this, and um, also being accountable for people's stuff. Again, I'm borrowing five battle mats from Chris Welfare, so I need to make sure that my inventory and the way I manage my games uh, make sure that I get I give back those five mats uh, the way that Chris gave them to me. Um, a great thing that I saw the Mitzi and Jimbo show guys do at Adepticon was actually made up little co coasters for drinks to make sure that everyone had a drink coaster uh, on the table so people weren't leaving their food and their drink uh, and ruining battle mats. So um, having those kind of things in mind um, preserves, but also I'm going to write on the back of the mats uh, with like a silver a silver metal texter, you know, Chris, Deke, um, anyone who's lent me their battle mats to make sure that I give them back um, what they've given me. So... Um, Obviously, CanCon 200 players, it's a bit harder to manage um, inventory, but certainly at a smaller level, um, don't be afraid to borrow. Just be accountable on what you're borrowing and make sure you give it back uh, the way it was received. Yep. Yeah. And if you're running stuff in a store, generally a store will have a bunch of terrain uh, anyway. They might have 10 tables, but they might have sort of five, five AOS and 540K. So, you know, you might need to scrape together five more AOS tables or something like that. But being able to uh, to borrow terrain from a store and things like that uh, is super helpful, and and a lot of um, a lot of groups are very um, a lot of groups and a lot of people are very happy to uh, to help out events get the terrain they need because we all want to play on boards that look good. Yeah, and no, a great yeah. example is I'm giving Travis a free ticket to Sydney GT because he's bringing up forty tables for me. Um, so by me giving him $60 worth of value from my ticket, uh, it's the least I could do to pay back uh, what would cost me hundreds of dollars and, and hours of my life uh, recreating these tables. So, uh, you know, you use reciprocity to give back uh, to those people who are helping you uh, in the scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So uh, anything, anything you guys want to call out from like sponsorships and how, how you're able to, like, Clint, when you speak to your sponsors, how um, how are you approaching them? What are you saying to them? Um, any advice that you would have uh, around around getting sponsorship from, from companies? Um, I think the thing I, that I've sort of learned over the past couple of years is to find uh, people who engage in the Age of Sigma space. 
uh, and talk to them first and sort of say and, and talk to them about what um, them helping you can do for their brand or uh, for their company and things like that. So they might uh, certain game stores uh, do discounts on vouchers and things like that because they they you know do GW product and things like that. Um, uh, certain brands are very keen to uh, have their mats in uh, on tables and things like that. So they're generally, you know, they're quite generous with that. Um, but even things like, uh, you know, brush companies and uh, or, or talking to people who make the acrylic products that you, you're going to be putting them in your players' packs already. So if they can add a little logo to the corner of them or something like that, but they're willing to do that and give you, you know, 20 or 30% off the price of the stuff, then that's that's you helping them get their name out there for other events or other people, like people might order their other products. And it's also making sure that you're making uh, people's money go further. You know, um, yeah. you're getting this this price, this price money comes essentially, it's the player's money that you're, you're working with. And if you can make that stretch by, uh, working with your sponsors, uh, that's a, that's a good thing for everyone. So yeah, sick. Yeah, I, 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 the advice that I would give, well, I think. Um, so you say, John, you want to tell a, do you want to tell a funny story about one of our your sponsors that happened the other day? No, I would rather not. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, all I would say is persistence uh, pays off. Uh, yeah. But more importantly, um, the advice that I give I give TO is um, I, I, I think I've been quite successful with the amount of sponsors I have for Sydney GT. I'm actually, when I look at it, I'm quite overwhelmed and, and hashtag blessed um, just with this sheer amount. But I think, one, you've got to ask. Uh, if you don't ask, you don't receive. So be open to rejection. Know that things take time. But more importantly as well, um, you need to think about uh, what's in it for me? You know, if I'm if yeah. I'm the Games Cube, if I'm Deep Cut Studios, if I'm McDonald's or Bunnings or whoever you're going to ask, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, but it's true. Like, if whoever you're going to ask, you need to think about what is the benefit to that company. You know, it's not a charity. It's not like, hey, can you give me some free product? It's that you're going to give me free product, and in return, I'm going to give you X, Y, and Z. If you can help yep. make their life easier by telling them, I would like you to sponsor my painting award. And with the painting award, this is what I want from you, whether it's uh, some examples from their catalog. That helps a lot. In fact, um, the most successful I've had is I've told them what I want from them um, and, and how I'm going to give them value. So I'm going to put their logo on my uh, players pack. I'm going to announce their sponsorship. I'll send them photos back after the event. I will announce their name um, when uh, when I give out the award. Um, if they send me flyers or discount coupons, I'll put them in a little pack when the player registers with me. Um, that's just some things that I can add value to. It costs me nothing. Um, if they have some certain requests, so one of my companies that I'm working with um, has a certain request, um, I will do the best that I can to fulfill that request. But otherwise, most most people are pretty okay to get involved or they're just not in a position. But I go back to them next year and they're actually in a better position and uh, they've now jumped on. So, um, um, and, and if that person knocks you back, go to their competitors. Um, 
I'm sure you can search for their competitors. And if it's not Deep Cut Studios, you've got Fat Mats, you've got um, GameMat.eu. There's, you know, there's so many, you know, Saucerman Studios. That's just one of many Mac companies. So you could replicate that with your hobby gear, with your, you know, if it's, um, if Windsor and Newton's not going to sponsor you, maybe it's, it's, uh, it's Artist Opus or, um, again, it's, think about everything that's in your hobby. Um, uh, hell, I even reached out to the, the company that I use. I get my 3D filament from. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't come to an agreement this year, but next year I'm going to go at them and, and try to get them on board because, hell, I've spent over $500 on, on material to make terrain. Um, so yeah, yep. yeah. That's, that's, that's me. And think about, think about value. Think about uh, just get straight to the point. Like there, Just tell them what you want. Yeah. I think the, like for me when I get like in a goodie pack, like some of them would give them like a voucher being like oh ten percent off or fifty percent off kind of thing. And that what gets players to do is literally go onto that website and see what they got. Like Miss Miniatures, I think was the most common one yeah. a year or two. And Dark like, Fantastic Mills, for example, is given a really good discount and um uh Gary from Dark Fantastic Mills is actually gonna send the 3d printed terrain to me at Sydney GT so people can collect. So not only is he getting product, but also I'm going to save on shipping. And also I'm able to give people stuff on the day. Uh, and Gary yeah. can obviously see that, um, sales that are directly coming from my event. So next year I could ask even more. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff, like anything where like, if you just ask them like, Oh, Hey, like can I get some vouchers and stuff? that's going to give, that's like pretty much like marketing for them, like for that company. It's just something so simple. So, yeah. But yeah, I'm just trying to think, is there anything else to add in or anything else to shout out, Clint, that you want to mention for any beginner TOs? Uh, not really. I think, I think we've probably gone over quite a lot here um, and in a lot of detail. So Sick. Magro, but, uh, anything? Um, my, my only advice, really, the last thing I'd probably say that I haven't, I haven't really directly said is that, um, when you're, when you're putting out an event, work backwards, think about who is my target audience at my event? Is it top tier competitive players? Is it the, the people who just want to play Warhammer for, for a weekend and roll dice and have fun? Is it the painters? Who, who is my target audience? build your event for that target audience. So Sydney GT for me is about the middle of the pack. I, I obviously I offer something of value to the, the top tier players, the people who want to smash face and get first, second and third. But what I want the most is the people in the middle of the pack who are two and three and three and two, like they, they win a couple of games, they lose a couple of games. I want them to walk away and have a great time, introduce their friends and, and play Warhammer and then come to other events like Slaughter, like CanCon, uh, like Gods of War, like all the different events, and yeah. um, and um, uh, create a space for people who um, who want to paint. Um, I'm giving out an award for what's called the Meta Buster, so someone who does really well with an army that isn't meta. Maybe they're running around with Scourge Privateers, or they're running around with you know the, the Deadly as Ever Gut Busters, um, and they do really well. I want to give them a prize. Um, you know, they're not running slanish or daughters, um, but think about the experience and think about what you're trying to achieve. Um, and Sydney GT for me is, is getting Sydney active, getting people having fun, focusing on their hobby 
and um and, and growing the scene and i think i've grown about 40 40 to 50 players year on year um and i think everyone wins um yeah on the flip side cancon's not necessarily about that cancon is um I guess uh, for me, a celebration, it's the, it's everything that kickstarts the year. It's the thing that everyone comes and travels from Australia and New Zealand to, to meet up with old friends and meet new friends and, and roll dice. And, you know, I don't think Clint overcomplicates things, but at the same time, he just executes very well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So Sick. Clint, anything else you want to add? No, I think I think you've talked for me enough there. That's fine. Horace is trying cool. to get me me to run the Masters. Unfortunately, Horace, I'm not invited, or I'm not I'm not aware of being on the Masters committee uh, to do commentary this year. If if maybe Joel's still on here, maybe uh, they can hire me to to do commentary again. Uh, I, I I'm not aware. Um, um, I think that's why why Wes keeps talking about uh, the GoFundMe. It's to fly you and he apparently two masters to do commentary i believe oh. that. i believe that's what that is all right yeah damn straight where's and i do commentary good lord that was we had a lot of fun at bruce hammer game five caradron versus gloom spite uh i would absolutely play where's again um god we'd, we'd talk some shit on the internet um this has been awesome um i think we've learned a lot i think this is a topic that we could talk a lot about um i think to wrap things up um, don't reinvent the wheel. Look at all the successful tournaments that are out there. Use your Google food to search for players pack, whether it's the South Coast GTs, the CanCons, the Bobos of the world, whether it's the Sydney Slaughters, whether it's the, um, the Midwest Meltdowns, the Adepticons, the Sydney GTs, the, um, the, the Nova Opens. There are so many events out there now that you can find something that sounds like the event that you want to run. Yeah. Pick the brains, whether it's a narrative event and you talk to the likes of Aaron Bossian, who, you know, or you look for anyone on Twitter called a Neo, whether it's someone who's in the master's committee and, and doing well, or um, it's someone who's running a huge event, you know, the likes of the CanCon. There is a wealth of information out there. Uh, tap into it. Um, more more events. I want to see more events and I want to hear more, more great stories. Um, yeah, so I feel all nice and warm and fuzzy, and now I need to go turn on my 3D printers and go on the home stretch for Sydney GT. <laughs> it never so, ends. So, Clint, where can people find you? Radio, uh, people can find me uh, on the Heralds of War podcast. Uh, if you listen to podcasts and you don't listen to us, um, very disappointed in you. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Heralds of War, uh, on Facebook, um, facebook.com forward slash Heralds of War. Uh, if you are curious about CanCon, um, if you go to heraldsofwar.com forward slash CanCon, uh, you can find a link to the event pack, the Facebook event, all that sort of stuff. Basically, as we do things, they're going to go up on the website there as well. Uh, tickets for CanCon on sale on the 1st of October. Only 240 of them. I also want to thank all the Patreons again, whether it's Kenny, Chaos Spawn, Matthew Priestley, um, Tyler Pearson, Clint Mallet. Thank you for being a, uh, a Patreon. David Blina, Doom of Darkness, Dwight Crow, uh, Jonathan Ensor, and Reflex Dog Training. I love that Twitter. He's always got pictures of dogs, and it's my favorite. <laughs> um, 
Uh, thank you, everyone, who's contributed. I think this has been a, a great show. I think it's hopefully a resource that people can tap into. And, uh, again, hit us all up on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram if you have any questions about your event or if you're running an event. Uh, let, make sure that we know so we can shout it out and, and ho help you get uh, as many uh, participants as possible. Sick. I'm excited already. And it's like, and it's so weird. It's only like five months away. Yeah. I've, five months. Yeah. I've started my display board clean. I've got my, uh, my plans ready to go. Uh, and I know what I'm doing for my display board. All about the free people, the cities of Sigma. So uh, what, Agile, what Agile like... Gaming has asked, uh, are we excited? Damn straight free people. They're back. Um, what I was going to say was, what is it? Five months. For the record, Liam, it is closer than that. Reflex dog uh, training. Make sure to come down to Mid Midwest Meltdown because I think I'm going to be there. So that's uh, July or July next year. So I'll be at Midwest Meltdown in Illinois. Sick. Cool. All right, we're wrapping up. Guys, Clint, Shadowhammer, uh, Nick, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And maybe I'll finally get off my ass and release this as a podcast. All right, peace out. See ya. Peace.